millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. Naturalhempoil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. Visit naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill. Generally, you have to use multiple products that target belly fat differently to manage excess weight around the stomach. Some products may focus on abdominal exercises or dietary changes, while others might focus on boosting metabolism or controlling cravings. But believe it or not, I may have found a solution that removes the need for juggling through multiple weight management products. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviews back up the notion that Belly Trim is not only a breakthrough in a bottle, but that it also removes the need for us to use countless diet pills and fat-burning supplements. But there's more. If you place your order for Belly Trim now, you'll also receive 51% off free VIP live health and fitness coaching for life, two free new ebooks titled Top 10 Foods That Burn Belly Fat, and Top 10 Exercises to Reduce Belly Fat, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee, and last but not least, free shipping. Simply go to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's www.trimwithus.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. Talk to enough people, and you'll soon realize nearly everyone's shocked at their recent electricity bills. Some studies reveal energy costs have skyrocketed by as high as 60% in as little as two years. That's why tens of thousands are installing this magical little device from SavePowerBills.com to help slash their energy bills. This sophisticated gadget stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your appliances and electronics. Simply plug it into your home wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this device is one of the most efficient ways to save money while beating the greedy power companies. But there's more. If you order now, you'll also receive 65% off, fast shipping within the USA, hassle-free returns, and last but not least, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee. Just go to SavePowerBills.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's SavePowerBills.com. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Just recently, a politician was carjacked by three armed attackers outside his home in Washington, D.C. This comes several months after another politician was assaulted in the elevator of her building. Between mass shootings, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjackings, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight has awed people with a wonderful design and massive light output. On top of an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, it boasts powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope cutter, siren, and much more. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this flashlight is the latest and greatest in the EDC market. But there's more. If you place your order for the Fighter Flare flashlight now, you'll also receive 66% off, free express shipping, and last but not least, a 100% lifetime guaranteed replacement. Simply go to www.fighterflare.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. 
www.fighterflare.com. Order now. Something wicked is coming this way, and only fools are ignoring the signs. So it's time you became a financial prepper like thousands of others. Gold can travel anywhere. It's international. It's its own currency. Allocate to gold now, the timeless safe haven asset. Open an IRA with noble gold investments to physically hold coins and bars and let real, tangible gold, not just paper, save your portfolio as the economy burns again. Right now, Noble Gold Investments offers a free 3-ounce silver American virtue coin with every qualified IRA. Just use the promo code code GOLD to claim your free coin and secure your family's financial future. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com now. noblegoldinvestments.com This performance may not be indicative of future results. Investing in precious metals, including gold, involves risks. Consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision. Is not responsible for the views, actions, statements, or opinions of its guests, advertisers, or even its viewers. The information contained in this program is not to be construed as medical or legal advice. An appearance on this platform is not necessarily an endorsement, but as always, we encourage you to do your own research. Enjoy the show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Saturday Night Live Stream. Patriot Catherine, good evening from Daytona Beach. Day- Daytona Beach, we are neighbors, Patriot Catherine. That's pretty sweet. Hope you guys out there are having a great night. Do me a favor, please hit the like button if you're on Rumble, if you're on Odyssey, if you're on the Foxhole, you can hit the red pill. Uh, and definitely help us out by sharing this program on your favorite social media platform. My guest tonight is the returning Mr. Corey Hughes. Corey, in my opinion, is one of the most solid JFK assassination researchers in the market. Not only today, but of all time. He's currently writing a book on the subject, almost done. You may remember before when Corey was on the program, we were talking about his... Yes, you know, just marathon, six-hour documentary on the assassination. Incredible stuff. Corey has gone down some rabbit holes that uh, I know many people have not. Tonight, we're going to continue that journey. And hopefully, there's going to be some new information that Corey's been able to dig up. So, do me a favor, sit back, relax, grab your popcorn, and we'll be right back after this. All right, welcome back to the program, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And please join me in welcoming our guest for this evening, Mr. Corey Hughes. Corey, how are you, sir? Excellent. Uh, Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, being on. Absolutely. And Corey, I want to get your your, your details up on screen here. Your your website where people can go to check out your work, is that CoreyHughes.org? CoreyHughes.org, correct. CoreyHughes.org. I'm sorry, I meant to do this before we got <laughs> on the on the air tonight, and I just realized that I hadn't done it. So, Corey, thank you very much for joining us once again. And uh, let me let me ask you this: What has been going on since the last time we spoke? Did uh, the appearance on the show produce any uh, any good results for you? Did you have a good response from your uh, from your fans? 
Uh, absolutely. From this show alone, my uh, my seven hour documentary uh, actually seven, seven. got a, over five thousand views uh, uh, from this show. Nice. So yes, uh, a great response. Um, and since the last appearance, I've been working really on the book hardcore. I think I've got ten chapters done. I just finished the hardest, you know, hardest chapters that are the explanations of what actually happened, the logistics of what happened in Dealey Plaza on November 22nd. Mm-hmm. And the chapter I just finished is uh, I call the chaos in the Texas School Book Depository. And I have been successfully able to track the movements of everyone in that building between 1230 and 1240, key moments for the Texas School Book Depository after the assassination. Uh, and we'll go over some of that today. So uh, the great thing about writing a book is you get to organize your thoughts, right? So I knew a whole lot of stuff about the assassination, but in actually being forced to organize them so that they are cohesive when you explain them to someone else has been a pretty difficult process because there's so much going on in Dealey Plaza right. you know, within those first 10 minutes. So, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited because all that stuff is done. And the only chapters I have left are background biographical stuff, which I should be able to knock out in the next month. And I'm hoping for a full on release in March. Um, currently right now, people can pre-order uh, the ebook. And when you pre-order the ebook, here's the best thing. And I kind of screwed up by making this so cheap. <laughs> you get 600, you get 630 pages of my notes. You get more notes than are in the book. Um, and so that is probably the best perk. You get four chapters that are currently written. You get access to my uh, private JFK research chat. And when the book is released, there's a link for you to download the ebook all for 25 bucks. And you can get that from buymeacoffee.com slash JFK book. And uh, we're going to go over some incredible stuff here today. Stuff that uh, every time I present still doesn't sit well with me because uh, of the potential implications, the larger scale implications of what we're going to cover today uh, could really shake the the whole world. And uh, so we can go ahead and get started. I have a slideshow uh, that I want to show you guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, d- let me see. I think I need to make you a co-host so that you can share your screen. And there you go. Now, you know, just from, from what you said there, you know, I mean, uh, the fact that your findings could shake the foundations. I, I, that, that really piques my interest because, I mean, when I look at the assassination, I think, I, I guess maybe I just assume that when, you know, the other people in the audience and, and other researchers look at it, you know, the, the, the implication for me is that an intelligence agency assassinated the president of the own country that they serve. And that was done in concert with the intelligence agencies of other global nations. You know, I'm thinking the CIA, I'm thinking Mossad, and I would not be surprised if there were uh, other factors involved here, too. Perhaps the mafia, perhaps, uh, you know, local police. Uh, So I wonder how deep it could possibly go. Uh, Your list was really good so far, because all of those things were true. (laughs) Um, The uh, involved in the actual assassination itself were the lead car, which contained uh, Curry and Decker and, and all the guys from uh, Forest Sorrels, all the local Dallas law enforcement, mm-hmm. uh, the limousine itself, uh, which had William Greer as the driver, completely involved and complicit in the assassination. And then you have the entirety of the people in the Secret Service car who were active participants. And not only were they active participants, they aided in the escape of the Grassy Knoll shooter. And so uh, we're going to cover some of that stuff today. But for me, the stuff I want to start off with really um, is uh, 
it's one of those subjects that's always hard to present. And um, I, I don't want people to take the information I present the wrong way, uh, sure. even though it's kind of hard. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to share screen. The first thing we're going to do is I want to take about 90 seconds and I'm going to play for you the Robert Hughes film. And if, if I may just set this up as you're as you're uh, finding that on your computer, Corey, you know, I, I titled the uh, the thumbnail for the show. Uh, uh, follow the facts wherever they lead. And I think that anyone out there who considers themselves to be a truther or a researcher searching for objective truth understands that no matter how uncomfortable some of those facts might be, it's your duty as a researcher, as somebody who's seeking out that objective truth, to literally follow that breadcrumb trail to its its uh, inevitable conclusion. So we need to mm-hmm. know where these people go. We need to know who was involved. We need to know exactly what happened that day, because certainly the official story that we've gotten is is not anywhere close. Okay, so uh, I'm going to have to back out of Zoom for just a second to reopen this file. I'll be back momentarily. Okay. all right. Well, in that case, we'll see you in a moment. And let me go over here to the chant and let's see what's going on here. Vanguard Visionary says world shaking. You mean that JFK didn't actually die that day? I'm pretty sure that JFK died that day, but I I hope that that was humor. Um, Let me see. Who else do we have here? Uh, Do, do, do. I just finished the Oswald chapter, says R.N. Jimsis. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, Okay, so, oh, it looks like Rain maybe has a question. Does Cardio Miracle sponsor y'all? No, Cardio Miracle, uh, that's a product I'm not familiar with. Looks like Corey is back. Let's go ahead and bring him in. Okay, sorry about that. It's okay. I'm back. All right, so... Let me make you a co-host again. Uh, hold on. Actually, okay. Looks like you. Looks like I'm good to go. Okay. Yes, you're good to go. Okay. So. All right. So I'm going to have to change my view to. No. Hold on. I have to. I have to set something because. Um, It's showing up on another monitor. Let me see. Window capture and zoom. Okay, that's it. Okay. All right, so go ahead and share now. Yeah, we should be good to go. Okay. Do you see a black screen? Yes, I see a black screen and... Okay, uh, great. Yes. All right. So um, this first video, this is the first thing I'm going to play. It's the Robert Hughes film. And this will give context to everything else that we're going to talk about today. This is the most important video in all of the assassination, better than Zapruder and all the others. Uh, There's no sound, but I'll try to tell you what's happening as we go through it. Starts off with some general shots of Dealey Plaza. You see the motorcade coming in.
So this film has been tampered with. You can see you can't see, see any detail on the left-hand side. All those people are kind of blurred out. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's definitely being, that's definitely tampering. So Kennedy has been shot. People are starting to move towards uh, uh, the grassy knoll. They're running across the lawn. This I thought was strange. Two people just walking in the opposite direction. Kind of mm-hmm. weird, huh? Yeah. Is that a police officer okay. walking in the opposite direction? N- I don't think so. Okay. Um, and this is, is about to wrap up. So a lot happened here, and we're going to try to unpack everything. And so when you when you go and you look for f- still images from the Robert Hughes film, this is what you find. You find all of these people on the left-hand side. They're all blurred out, mm-hmm. uh, darkened. You can, you can even see some, like, specific smudges over people's faces um this is what you find uh when you look for frames from the robert hughes film but in my research i happened to come across one single frame that was not tampered with and it looked like this Mm -hmm. and in my opinion this is the most important uh still image in all of the kennedy assassination uh first off on the left hand side that's jd tippett um so jd tippett was not a shooter but he was most certainly in daily plaza that day um he was uh definitely involved in the assassination um and we're not going to get to jd tippett today but all the information on jd tippett and his assassination will be in my book he ultimately he was he was shot by two men uh david ferry and carrie thornley not oswald so when you go through this picture You'll notice a couple really weird things. Um, these people are really, they're wearing outfits that are really kind of out of the ordinary, so to speak. Uh, and if you scan all the way down to the right side, you'll see someone is standing there and they're wearing a parrot costume. Can you see the parrot right over here? Can you, um, make, can, can you make the image full screen on your desktop? Oh, I can let me see. I think that's the best I can do. Okay, well, it's a little bit larger, but so, if you can zoom in at all, that would be helpful. Uh, so this is a, a, someone in a parrot costume here, and then you have a group of people who all seem to be wearing some really interesting and funky clothing. Let me zoom in. When you look at these images, and I know they're kind of blurry, but mm-hmm. you can tell distinctly people's faces and people's clothing. And what you see here are a whole bunch of people wearing a whole bunch of weird stuff. So mm-hmm. on the left, you have a person wearing a black robe. And then you have a person wearing these like white Greco-Roman style robes. And I concluded that's what it is because there's two other people in Dealey Plaza wearing the same thing. They look like big puffy robes. Uh, And then as you continue to move down the line, you'll find this guy standing in the middle here and he has a very tall hat on. It's a purple hat with gold trim and he's wearing a purple robe with a patch on the shoulder. You can see right here is a patch on the shoulder. Uh, and so I found all these people in Dealey Plaza wearing these costumes, and it really started to freak me out. And then when I looked at that picture again, I found that all of these people who have arrows over their head, and I actually missed a couple, uh, they were all wearing these ornate ceremonial style outfits. Uh, and I was I was just puzzled. I had really I was I was at my wit's end when I started to come across this stuff. Then I go through the pictures and I find up here on the grassy knoll by the pergola, you have what I thought was like a kid wearing like some kind of marching band right. outfit. And well, it's not a marching band, but those are definitely kids and that's definitely a ceremonial outfit and I will explain what they are here momentarily. Hmm. Um what I want to do now is I took the Robert Hughes film and I I made a, a clip 
and I repeated some stuff and I zoomed in on the background of some things that are extremely important. And so I want to go ahead and play this and I'm going to, I'll probably play it through twice. It's pretty short, but it's some extremely important things that go on here. So in this image here, that is not Lee Harvey Oswald. That person who just is turning around, this either they're getting a signal from the guy in the gray trench coat in the background. Now the guy in the background is Detective Ira Trantham for the Dallas Police Department. And this person who he's giving the signal to is William Seymour. And I'll get back to William Seymour, but this is what's going on in the background. Right, something. There's some kind of communication there. This is what's going on in the background. There's an arrest being made. On the left-hand side here, you have Clyde Haygood, who is the cop on the motorcycle who gets off and runs up the grassy knoll. Um, And he's making an arrest of someone who, in my opinion, looks like they're wearing an outfit that resembles the Wicked Witch of the West. Look at this. It's a black robe and there's like a black pointed hat. Um, And at this point, I was I was really freaking out. So um, on the right hand side, you can't really tell. But right here, you have a black head and it's a black spot here and it's moving. And there's another spot here and it's moving. And based on the information I gathered from all the statements, um, this is another arrest that's happening. This is probably Joe Smith. And he's making an arrest of somebody on the grassy knoll. Uh, actually, this is the railroad yards behind the grassy knoll. Let me play this one more time. So you have William Seymour, who, in my opinion, was working in the book depository as Lee Harvey Oswald. There is zero evidence that Lee Harvey Oswald was ever in the book depository on November 22nd, and I can't place him there ever. The only pieces of evidence that we have of him ever having been there are his job application um, and some time cards. And I'm telling you, those are props in an elaborate staged event. So here we are back to the the Wicked Witch of the West. And notice these two guys in the middle with these big hats on. I'm not going to comment on those at the moment. But in the background, you have Clive Haygood, and he's making this arrest of the Wicked Witch of the West. So to break down what's actually happening here, um, that's William Seymour. And William Seymour, I'll explain who he is coming up. Um, But in the background here, you had Clyde Haygood, and he's making an arrest of this person who's dressed in these elaborate ceremonial robes, because it's not a wicked witch, okay? There are no witches out there. Um, This is a zoom in, but it's still a little bit fuzzy. But this is not a witch costume. What this is, is this is a Hasidic ceremonial robe and hat. This is a Hasidic Jew wearing a Hasidic robe like this, Mm -hmm. and the same style, the big hat um over and i was pointing out this this is joe smith and he's making an arrest of this prone suspect on the ground several minutes later he will walk that suspect down the grassy knoll right here and this is captured i believe in the montesana film and this is at about 12 34 uh this person arrested is actually held for three weeks bill decker did not want to release this person and look for all kinds of charges to keep this person in custody eventually they had to let them go and the name of this person has never been released although i think i have an inclination on who it might be um so basically when you're looking at these robes, and then you look at the kids up here on the knoll. Um, what is going on here is this is a symbolic Purim festival. Now, I'm going to explain the story of Purim. 
Um, Purim is a Jewish holiday which commemorates the saving of the Jewish people from Haman, an Achaemenid Persian Empire official who was planning to kill all the Jews in the empire, uh, as recounted in the Book of Esther. Haman was the royal advisor to King Ahasuerus, and he planned to kill all the Jews in the empire. So this is from the Book of Esther. And the Book of Esther is a fascinating story. Uh, Ultimately, it is a story of preemptively slaughtering your enemies. Um, So Haman goes uh, he goes to the king and he has the king put out a decree to kill all the jews and so esther and mordecai uh they fast and they convince all the jewish people of the land to fast and uh at the culmination of their fasting haman is hanged mordecai is put in his place and is the story of the salvation of the jewish people Mm -hmm. this is the story of the assassination of john kennedy John Kennedy was killed in a manner akin to the killing of Haman. This is purely symbolic. And the reason for this is um, these on the left-hand side are rabbis wearing Purim ceremonial robes in the modern era. On the right-hand side is the image of rabbi in Dealey Plaza wearing the same hat, the purple robe, the white open collar, the patch on the shoulder. Kennedy was ultimately a Jewish ritual sacrifice. Um, okay, to the kids hold, on the hold on, hold on. I want. I'm, can we go back to that last image? Because I see. Uh, so this patch on the arm is that the same as this symbol that's on their hats? Is that what you think? Because well, I I'm, see I'm the patch on the shoulder at, here. Well, yes. And if you yes. look on the left, if you the image on the left, you can see they all have patches on the shoulder. The patch okay. on the shoulder matches the patch on the shoulder there. This is a this is a um, historical. Um, uniform or outfit that is worn on Purim to celebrate the holiday. And they have the same uniform for kids. And that's what this is. Uh, here you have these kids on the knoll who are wearing these Purim ceremonial outfits with the tassels on the shoulder with the inlay that goes all the way down the front of the jacket. These monsters brought their kids to see Kennedy get killed. And they wow. knew it was going to happen. The entire crowd knew that Kennedy was going to get killed. Uh, this is a picture from a Purim celebration. And if you'll notice, um, there's this teal color all over the place. The teal color has a symbol symbolism within this holiday. And when you go back to this picture, that teal color is everywhere. Yeah, it is. People are wearing that teal color like crazy. And so ultimately with this story uh, and how it is akin to the killing of Kennedy, because Kennedy was going to do two things. Kennedy was going to make sure that Israel never achieved the bomb. They had been stealing nuclear material from Apollo, Pennsylvania, from the Numac plant uh, Mm -hmm. since 1956. And Kennedy knew this. But from 1960 onward, the world knew that the Israelis had a bomb. It was in Time magazine in the Jev Desert. And so uh, there was a lot going on um, between 1945 post-World War II and the killing of Kennedy in 1963 involving the Israelis and large-scale smuggling operations out of this country. Mm-hmm. And who did the Israelis utilize to, to do all the smuggling operations? The United States Mafia. The U.S. Okay. Mafia and the Israelis in 1963 are one organization. And who else is part of this organization? The CIA. You cannot separate these people in 1963 at all. They're one organization. And so the killing of Kennedy... Um, is done in a manner that is akin to a symbolic Purim festival. And here's why a Purim festival, because Jews are not allowed to commit a sacrifice post 70 AD because of the destruction of the temple. Okay. Mm -hmm. Allegedly, there's no place for them to do the sacrifice because the temple was destroyed. There is one exception. The one exception is you can commit a sacrifice at a Purim festival. Therefore, 
This was pulled off in a manner symbolizing Purim symbolically to maintain the legalistic nature of the assassination. So under the religion, be, they're allowed to commit the sacrifice. So for under lack of a better term, it would be kosher. It would be kosher if they pulled it off in this manner. Wow. wow. And so um, in regards to uh, that aspect of the assassination, really, it comes back to Israel and Israel's relationship with the United States mafia, mm-hmm. particularly Meyer Lansky. So most people think that Italians... When they say Italians ran the mob, what they really mean is Sicilian, Sicilian Italians. Mm -hmm. Um, But the reality is Sicilian Italians only ran the mob from 1921 to 1931. After 1931, the mob was run by Meyer Lansky, who used the commission and all Lucky Luciano and all these guys as front bosses. Uh, Meyer Lansky went down as the mob's accountant, right, in history. But really, he was the boss of all bosses of all time for 50 years. (laughs) And uh, it's that relationship that is the relationship that was used by the Israelis in order to commit the assassination. Now, where does the CIA come to, into this? Um, the CIA had been working with organized crime since the 1940s, since World War II. Lucky Luciano, the docks in New York, and the Navy wanted to make sure that there was no Nazis getting smuggled into the country, and so they set up this relationship going back all the way to the 40s. Uh, but when you, look at the rela- when you look at who actually the shooters were, right? we've already established the shooters were all associated with the mob. But 100% of the shooters were also working with the CIA. Uh, The CIA and the mafia had a very tight relationship to the point where they were using some of these mob hitmen who shot Kennedy for training exercises down in Miami, uh, training covert forces. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about the anti-Castro Cubans and how the anti-Castro Cubans were involved in Kennedy. But that's really nonsense. So um, to touch on the anti-Castro Cubans really quickly, there were only two involved in the assassination. Emilio Santana, who was the shooter at the Daltex building, and a guy named Sergio Arcacha Smith, who was a former Cuban diplomat. He was uh, a Cuban who ended up uh, becoming an exile here in the United States. Those were the only two anti-Castro Cubans involved in the assassination, period. And they were acting on behalf of the mafia, not the anti-Castro Cubans. So whenever you hear people talk about the anti-Castro Cubans, um, it's really a smokescreen. Uh, the reason the Bay of Pigs failed and the reason that there was never a Cuban uprising, it was never a, you know overthrow of Castro is because all of the money and arms for 20 years that was supposed to be getting diverted, that was supposed to go to the anti-Castro Cubans was actually getting diverted to Israel through a company in Virginia called Interarmco, which was run by a guy named Samuel Cummings, who was a CIA agent. Um, he was also the CIA agent who happened to import the Manlicher Carcano that Oswald was set up with. So, yeah, it's a really, it's, it's a fascinating series of relationships uh, that people really don't explore enough. But to understand the Kennedy assassination, I really put the, the study of it going back 100 years, going back to 1897, the birth of Zionism and Theodore Herzl. And then between, uh, you know, 1897 and like 1933 that's like one era and by 1933 the the zionists who were all attempting to get a state in 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 palestine the state of israel they had been infiltrating governments around the world for 30 years at that point america Mm -hmm. was compromised by 33 uh henry morgenthau the secretary of the treasury he was a diehard zionist uh they had people on the supreme court um our country was lost long before world war ii and these are the people who were really behind the assassination. And it really gets fascinating when you start to get into Numec in particular and the smuggling of uranium out of the United States for use at 
the Demona nuclear reactor because the CIA was in on this. Mm-hmm. The CIA knew it was happening. They were helping the Israelis because the CIA doesn't work for America. They work for international interests. And those international interests all seem to merge in the state of Israel. Uh, obviously, the state of Israel and I guess even more specifically, the Mossad are extremely powerful. I mean, they're great at spycraft, great at subterfuge, and they're great at the manipulation of people based upon what they know about them and, and, and what their what their likes and dislikes right. are and what they can use against them. And it's the exact same thing for the CIA. I mean, I think you're absolutely right when you say that these organizations are are inextricable. You know, you can't separate them mm-hmm. because uh, we're, you know, it, it when I look at this, you know, I, I see the global international cabal that we're always talking about. And, you know, it has its roots in uh, various countries within their intelligence communities because those intelligence communities are embedded all over the place. I mean, they're embedded in other nations. They're embedded in civil service. They're embedded in elected government. They're embedded in business. They're embedded in banking. And because of that network that they maintain, not only amongst themselves, but with similar organizations of different nations, uh, they are allowed to remain in power. And they're essentially unbeatable because they have unlimited resources. They have unlimited assets Mm -hmm. that they can call upon. Uh, They have unlimited blackmail material that they can use to force people to do whatever it is that they want. So, you know, I, I and I also think it's very important for people to understand the difference between Zionists and just people of the Jewish faith. I mean, you don't right. have to be a Zionist if you are Jewish. And uh, an excellent example of that uh, is the uh, Hasidic Jewish community of uh, New York. You know that it, they're big Trump supporters, but they're not necessarily neutral. Yes, yes, they're mm-hmm. totally anti-Zionism, and they they don't uh, they don't like what the current Israeli government is doing and has been doing for for decades. Right. When you go back and you study Theodor Herzl, who was the founder of political Zionism, you'll come to realize very quickly that number one, he was an atheist. Um, he was an ethnic Jewish supremacist. He felt that they were that the Jewish community were ethnically superior to everyone. But he looked at the orthodoxy, the people who were believers in the religious aspect of it. He right. looked at them as peasants and he saw them as basically cannon fodder. Mm-hmm. for the Zionist movement to utilize as tools to get a state. Um, it was Theodor Herzl's idea to instigate anti-Semitism around the world so that Jews would feel insecure and so that they would have to rush to the state of Israel where the Zionists right. would be the saviors. Um, that was his plan from the beginning. And that's been the that's been the, you know, the book that they've been <laughs> the playbook ever since for a yes. hundred years. I mean, we've been seeing it every all, all the time. Um and so, yeah, the the entire notion of anti-Semitism is really a creation of Theodor Herzl as a tool to to manipulate people into having the Jews create state of Israel, and that's and it never it never stopped. So, if you ask people today what Zionism is, they'll say it's um, the Jewish right of self determination. Which, in and of itself, that sentence means nothing. That mean that that sentence means absolutely zip. Those words have no meaning. Uh, but the reality is that Zionism is a, a movement of Jewish supremacy. And it is not seeming to let up. And if you look at what's going on in Israel and the protests in Israel against the Zionist government, um, what's going on right now and how they're they're escalating their movements against the Palestinians, it's disgusting. It's absolutely horrific. But nothing will ever occur there because the UN and NATO and all these organizations were founded by the Zionists, right? Mm-hmm. So they're never going to go after them. 
right? The criminal court, all these organizations, hell, even the Catholic Church, the Vatican, have all been infiltrated by Zionists. So it's true. You know, there'll never be any justice there. That same playbook is on display right now here in America in in the way that they are kind of uh, pushing this this uh, idea of black supremacy or or people of color supremacy, anything over and above, uh, you know, a a person who is of Caucasian descent, whatever nation they hail from. Uh, And you also see that same uh, atheistic attitude and using people based upon issues within like the democrat party and i mean all of these powerful people in the united states you know they might say that they're christian they might say that they're jewish but i think at the end of the day they don't believe in anything the only thing that they believe in is their own power and their own ascendancy over the plebs over the peasants of these nations who they know actually have deeply held beliefs and deeply held faith And they use that against them. You know, they will turn brother against brother based upon some wedge issue that they can divide you with. And then, you know, racism, Mm -hmm. anti-Semitism, you know, all of the isms, uh, misogyny, you know, I mean, they will pick one and they'll use it for their own benefit. But they don't really care about the people that they're, uh, you know, trying to uh, uh, to stand up for. Yeah, it's 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 really sad. We, we live in a world where um, truth is a hard commodity to come by. And uh, I got to be honest, like just seeing how crazy things are going. My favorite politician today is uh, Santos, mm-hmm. the guy who wouldn't know the truth if he tripped over it, you know, um, because he to me, it is hilarious how he is just to me. It's a perfect example of how politics is completely full of shit. Mm-hmm. To the point where we have somebody who's like faking their name and lying about being a drag queen and all this stuff. And to me, it just highlights the hypocrisy of Washington as a whole. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, this George Santos stuff, I've only talked about it a little bit because I don't really know who this guy is. You know, I know precious little about him because the story just keeps changing. But, uh, you know, in the same way that I am angry when I see a politician on the left lying and, uh, you know, misrepresenting who they are. Dick Blumenthal, who didn't fight in Vietnam, said that he was a Vietnam veteran, got uh, elected on the Mm -hmm. fact that he fought for this nation. Total lie. Uh, And, uh, you know, people he, he came out with it, but he still remains in office. You know, I mean. George Santos, as soon as he gets elected, turns out he's got a bunch of aliases. I wouldn't be I mean, everything (laughs) about him just screams that he is a con man. And uh, I just I think that we should have a a level of self-respect that's higher than that. You know, I mean, just because this guy has an R next to his name, I don't think that that means that we should have them in office. I mean, we need leadership. We need people who are truly interested in representing the best interests of the people. We don't need people who are just going to lie and say whatever they need to so that they can eke across the finish line and then fix it all out in the wash. I mean, I can't believe that the the stuff about him didn't come out before the election. (laughs) Like where was the I know every, every day that tells me that tells me that there was somebody who was actively suppressing the stuff. So yeah, and that, yeah. and that that brings up a whole bunch of other questions too. So yeah, yeah but so yeah, I, our, our politics in the modern era is a total joke. TZ Burton says, "I like that Santos guy too. It's funny. I mean, it is. It's a very <laughs> comical situation. It's like I'm just I'm blown away that in this modern internet age where everything is recorded, your entire life can be found online. Like, how could you think you could get away with like lying about your your yeah. educational background or where you worked or like the fact that you used to go by four different names? I mean, somebody <laughs> is going to know you, especially when you're running for Congress. Somebody's going to come forward and say, hold on a second. That, that's Dick Andrews. I know that guy. 
crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. But um, mm. okay, I'm going to go back to screen share, okay. um, and I want to talk about. Um, I'm going to talk about these three guys. Okay, so these three guys are, are, in my opinion, three of the most important people in the assassination. This is Lawrence Howard on the left. William Seymour in the middle and Lauren Hall on the right. Mm-hmm. Um, Howard and Hall were the shooters on the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository. And William Seymour, I'll give you the background on on William Seymour. And all of these guys really are, they're ex-military. And in about 1959, 1960, they get involved with a guy named Jerry Hemming mm-hmm. down in Miami. Jerry Hemming runs uh, the training camp at No Name Key. And he was running the Lake Pontchartrain training camp. Uh, just outside of New Orleans that got raided by the FBI. So these guys are most certainly um, diehard mercenaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're working with the Central Intelligence Agency. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is a Corey, great picture. Corey, uh, Corey before you continue, I, I, I just want to address a, a chat from RSS Commentary. RSS Commentary likes to go hard on uh, and challenge the guests. He says the fact this guy doesn't know the KGB-funded Palestinian terrorists started the jihad to weaken the West with endless wars is highly sus. If Pasipa was wrong, this guy needs to address the claims. I don't think you're saying that the Palestinians are blameless or innocent in anything that's occurred uh, throughout history or I mean and we didn't even get to the uh, the the origins of Hamas or, or or Palestine so maybe that's something we can talk about a little bit later on down the line but I just wanted to make sure that I I got it out there you guys keep in mind that as we touch on a number of different subjects Corey already has a presentation that he's put together and so if you have questions or you know you specifically want to challenge anything that he said, please by all means call in in the second half of the show. But I want to allow Corey to uh, to, to get his uh, his piece out here because he's you know kind of painted a picture. Okay, so um, all right, so I don't know how to respond to that question, okay. but I'm just going to move on. Okay. So um, these guys, Howard Hall and Seymour, are crucial in the setup of Oswald. So. Um, to show really how important these guys were on the right hand side, that, that's William Seymour, the guy holding the jacket over his face. That's the one and only Frank Sturgis. And, and on so is the he trying left to disguise side, himself? Is he doing that on purpose well, or is this a um, joke? <laughs> this this is Operation Forty. Operation Forty is an assassination squad. There should mm-hmm. not be a picture of them. And I think the only person who realizes it at the time is Frank Sturgis. So okay, um, okay. he was a ba- uh, he was a badass. If you kn- know who Frank Sturgis was, uh, eventually he busted the name, Watergate, yeah. which is directly directly connected to Kennedy. Watergate was one hundred percent about Kennedy. So, but on the left side, you have Porter Goss, the third guy, the second guy back. That's Porter Goss, who was the congressman. Yes. Also, he was in charge of Iran Contra hearings, right? So yes. the fix was in for that, also. But um, as far as these three guys go, their job was to set up Oswald, and they did it all over the place, everywhere from Miami to New Orleans to Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, now, William Seymour in this picture doesn't really look a whole lot like Oswald, um, but by 1963, he's cleaned up, his hairline has receded, and we saw in the previous picture with the yellow jacket, he's close enough to Oswald to where everyone is mistaking him for Oswald everywhere he goes. Yes. One of the more important incidents where he's mistaken for Oswald is at the Carousel Club. Now, a lot of people like to say that Oswald was seen at the Carousel Club and that he knew Jack Ruby. 
I believe that's completely false. I don't believe they ever knew each other. Um, but when you go through the statements of a witness at the Carousel Club, they describe three men, one of which he describes as Oswald. And the other men, I'll give the descriptions. He describes a white male, 30 to 32 years old, uh, 200 pounds, 5 foot 10, stocky build, long black hair, dark complexion, oval face, Mexican or Spanish appearance, numerous bumps on face. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to Lawrence Howard. He's got moles all over his face. It is yeah. clearly Lawrence Howard who they're talking about here at the Carousel Club. Uh, the other two descriptions, uh, clearly Lauren Hall and Lee Harvey Oswald. So uh, many people like to use this incident here as proof that uh, Ruby knew Oswald. I think that's just myth. This is uh, this, the implications here are great because they it, it shows that William Seymour was in the Carousel Club and that he ha- was connected to Jack Ruby. Uh, one of the more important things that happens in Dealey Plaza is that Oswald allegedly at 1240 escapes from Dealey Plaza in a green Nash Rambler. It was not Lee Harvey Oswald. It was William Seymour. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the Nash Rambler that was owned by Lawrence Howard at the time in 1963. Now, it's important to realize this was an extremely vast setup. And there was another person impersonating Lee Harvey Oswald, and that was Carrie Thornley. So um, everyone should be familiar with who knows the Kennedy JFK movie or just knows Kennedy uh lore in general. A guy named Perry Russo goes to a party in September of 63. While at that party, uh, he says that Lee Harvey Oswald is there and that, that Clay Shaw is there and they all discuss killing the president. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people try to discredit the fact that he was ever at this party uh, or that Oswald was at this party, but I can tell you with certainty it did occur um, and his statements about it are true and correct, but the person that he identified as Lee Harvey Oswald was actually Kerry Thornley. Kerry Thornley was impersonating Oswald all over New Orleans. There are at least a hundred incidents documented of Lee Harvey Oswald interacting with somebody, you know, regardless of how superfluous of an incident it is. Um, But I have basically gone through all of them, debunked them all, and I've separated them into two categories. One is Oswald being impersonated by Kerry Thornley. The other is Oswald being impersonated by William Seymour. And then both of these guys will be in Dallas and take part in the events on November 22nd. William Seymour in Dealey Plaza and Kerry Thornley uh, in Oak Cliff because Kerry Thornley and David Ferry are the ones responsible for the assassination of J.D. Tippett. Um, I don't get into the Texas school book. Uh, I don't get into the Texas theater too much uh, in this presentation here, but Carrie Thornley will be arrested out of the balcony of the Texas theater after Oswald is arrested out of the ground floor and pulled out the front. Carrie Thornley is arrested and pulled out the back. And, uh, why, and we have witness was, statements and documents. Why was and all that stuff backing that up? Why was he arrested? Okay. So, um that's an interesting question why he was actually physically arrested i don't know the how it went was now carrie thornley is involved with the shooting of jd Tippett. he flees to a secondhand junk shop before fleeing to a, a, a the abundant life temple which is like a church and then he ends up uh running into the texas theater at 1 p.m where he doesn't buy a ticket see the problem is oswald is already in the theater at 107 p.m okay at the same time Tippett's getting shot oswald is walking in the front door of the theater It is 30 minutes later that Carrie Thornley, fleeing from the cops, goes past the shoe store, goes into the theater without buying a ticket, draws attention to himself, goes up to the balcony. And then a whole bunch of stuff happens inside the theater. But ultimately, Carrie Thornley will be arrested out the back. Um, So another incident involving William Seymour. Uh, that most people try to say is uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, is an incident involving a woman named Sylvia Odio. Now, Sylvia Odio is the daughter of two anti-Castro Cubans who were in jail in Cuba at the time. She's plugged in politically in Dallas to a whole bunch of these uh, right-wing organizations. And so 
three men visit her and they give uh, aliases. One of them uses the alias of Leon Oswald. Leon Oswald, that's the same alias that Carrie Thornley used in New Orleans. But I can tell you with certainty, this was not Carrie Thornley at Sylvia Odeo's because I know where Carrie Thornley was. He was in Alice, Texas on this date. So uh, it was definitely not him. It was definitely William Seymour. And the proof that it was William Seymour, Lauren Hall, and Lawrence Howard at Sylvia Odeo's is we actually have a confession from Lauren Hall, who was one of the shooters in the book depository, that it was him, William Seymour, and uh, Lawrence Howard, who actually went to meet with Sylvia Odeo. And the reason that this is so significant is because this incident happened at a time that Oswald was supposed to have been in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. But Oswald wasn't in Mexico City. Oswald was still in New Orleans. So what I'm doing here is I'm just trying to lay out a couple incidents showing how that there were people identified as Oswald who most certainly were not Oswald. And then when you say, if it wasn't Oswald, who was it? And that's been the bulk of my work over the past 12 months is identifying which person was identif- was impersonating Oswald in which place. And so uh, ultimately, uh, the incident at Sylvia Odeo's was um, Lauren Hall, Lawrence Howard, and William Seymour. Now we have another incident, and this one is even more profound because we have all we've all heard the stories of Lee Harvey Oswald at the shooting range, the sports drone rifle range, where he went and shot rifles and he allegedly shot at other people's targets to draw attention to himself. He mm-hmm. shot at the target of Garland Slack. Garland Slack gives some amazing statements. He refuses to identify the Carcana rifle. Uh, but here on November 9th, 10th, and 17th, you have a person identified as Lee Harvey Oswald going to the sports room rifle range, but it is clearly not him. When you go through the witness statements, um, the description uh, Oswald was accompanied by a man and uh, the really Harvey Oswald's a loner, didn't have any friends, wasn't associated with anybody, never did anything with anyone uh, that we're aware of. Uh, so on these dates here, uh, we have witnesses who said that Oswald was there with a person who ended up actually handing him rifles over the top of the fence, um, and then the person walked around. So uh, William Seymour has been seen at the rifle range where he's identified as Oswald, and he's identified with three different rifles. On one day, three different rifles, one of those being a Mauser 7.65, very similar to the description of the rifle that was found in the school book depository. Because the rifles that were used on the sixth floor was a Mauser 7.65 by Lawrence Howard and a Johnson 30-06 by Lauren Hall. That rifle actually is found the next day by the lawn crew, and they're able to trace it back through pawn slips. It's pretty fascinating. Um, but here we have a description from Garland Slack who describes the man with Oswald, and he describes him as having a lot of dark hair, dark complexion, a full beard. He was about 24, six foot tall, very large feet. Once again, he's describing a dark, complected, heavy set man who was with Lee Harvey Oswald. And we've seen this before. It is Lawrence Howard and it is William Seymour. So Oswald never owned the rifle. He never went to the rifle range, never did any of the things that we uh, believe he did. Um. I have a whole bunch of more incidents involving Oswald or alleged Oswalds, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and skip that because I want to cover really quickly uh, the actual gunmen, who the gunmen were in Dealey Plaza. And I believe I have them all. I have not found any documentation that would indicate uh, that I have missed any. So behind the pergola, which is that. Before you get into them, uh, one of uh, another great piece of research into the uh, assassination of John F. Kennedy is uh, from I think it's from 9-11 to JFK. Everything is a rich man's trick. 
and the the creator of that documentary identifies uh, a certain number of shooters. And I'm just wondering uh, how your findings line up with that. If you think that that's that's right or is that just incorrect research or is it a misdirect? Well, what do you think? It is a complete misdirect. That film is CIA propaganda. It identifies a shooter from the storm drain, which is beyond ridiculous. Uh, every crazy kook theory you could put in there is in there. But there were, I, by my calculations, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine shooters. There okay. were nine shooters. I don't know that all of them actually fired the rifle. I can tell you with certainty, one of them, Robert Bernard Baker, who I'll get to, did not fire a rifle. He was on the overpass, but I'll get to that. Okay. So we have on the left is Dave Yaris. Dave Yaris, longtime Chicago hitman. Uh, based out of Miami, working for the Chicago Outfit. Uh, he was the organizer of the assassination of Mayor Anton Cermak in Miami in 1933, another extremely important and relevant event to Kennedy, which we'll talk about another time. Okay. On the right, Danny Green, the Irishman, the one and only from uh, Cleveland. Um, Danny Green's fascinating backstory. When you study Danny Green, you come to understand that he was a sniper trainer in the Marines. When he gets out of the Marines, he goes and works for the Genovese family up in New York on the on the railroads. And then uh, he ends up getting traded to the Licavoli clan in Cleveland, where he works under a guy named Leo Mosseri, who worked under James Licavoli. Um, before, most people know that Danny Green uh, went to war with the Cleveland mob, which is true. But before he went to war with the Cleveland mob, he was part of the Cleveland mob. Um, after the assassination, he takes over the Longshoresman Union, which is the biggest union in Cleveland, and he runs the docks. That was his reward. He was an absolute nobody. And you can go back to the to 1963, 1964, and there were articles written about Danny Green. Who is this guy, and how did he come out of nowhere in order to run the Longshoresman? Well, obviously, it was his reward for participating in the assassination, and he's the tall tramp. There's there's um, a movie about Danny Green, isn't there? It's called Kill the Irishman. Yes, yes, there is. There's another one called the. There's another Irishman called Frank uh, named Frank Sheeran. Um, that was the one recently made on Netflix with Joe Pesci. That's a okay. good one too. That's got David Ferry in it, and all the stuff in there about David Ferry is actually pretty true. Actually, uh, Dave. Yeah, Frank Sheeran provided rifles to David Ferry, three Mauser 7.65s that were used by Lauren Hall, Lawrence Howard, and Emilio Santana. So I was able to trace the rifles directly from Frank Sheeran to the actual shooters. But this is Robert Bernard Baker. He was uh, Jimmy Hoffa's right-hand man, and he was up in New Jersey. He's uh, really tight with Dave Yaris and Lenny Patrick. The night before the assassination is a series of phone calls between Robert Bernard Baker, Jack Ruby, uh, Dave Yaris and Lenny Patrick, alibi phone calls. These guys had been in Dallas for days when those phone calls happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, the shooters in a book depository on the sixth floor, like I've already said, Lawrence Howard, Lauren Hall. They're on the sixth floor. I've traced their movements in the building and how they actually escaped. Um, I don't know if I have that stuff with me, but we might, we might have it. Um, the other guy on the right, that's Sergio Arcacha Smith. He was the shooter on the roof of the book depository where he did in fact leave a Mauser 7.65. When confronted about that Mauser that was found, the Dallas police said it was left there by a security guard, but there was no security guard. Hmm. So the shooter at the Daltex building um, is Emilio Santana, well, another anti-Castro Cuban, but he was working for Carlos Marcello as a bag man. 
Uh, he had been involved in an incident with a woman named Rose Sheremy with uh, Sergio Arcacha Smith. Uh, they kick her out of a car on November 20th. She ends up in the hospital. She ends up telling everybody they're going to kill Kennedy. They're going to kill Kennedy. Nobody believes her. She gets thrown into the mental ward. Then Kennedy gets killed. And a guy, a Lieutenant Francis Fruge, a guy with the uh, state police comes and talks to her. And they end up going on this like three day investigation trying to track down these guys. Um, Sergio Arcacha Smith and Emilio Santana were with Rose Sheremy and Emilio Santana was the shooter at the Daltex building. And so the thing that everyone really wants to know, the shooter on the grassy knoll, there were two. David Ferry fired the first shot from the corner of the picket fence that strikes Kennedy in the throat. From there, he tosses his weapon to a guy named Andrew Jerome Blackman, who then breaks down the rifle, puts it in a toolbox, and David Ferry just casually walks back into the railroad yards. Um, and on the right is the quintessential grassy knoll shooter. That is Jack Valente. Jack Valente, I've had a long time to go back over my work and restudy my notes. And I have even more proof that Jack Valente was the shooter on the grassy knoll. Really? Um, last than I last time you were on the show, we talked about Valente a lot. I was That was uh, yeah. fascinating. First time I'd ever heard his, his name brought up in the context of this. Yeah, I'm convinced that he also shot Martin Luther King. I can't prove it, but I will. Um, oh, wow. Give me another couple of years and I'll prove that one too. But I'm pretty confident he did shoot Martin Luther King because his Raul, who I've actually identified, um, was his brother-in-law. <laughs> so, and these guys use lifelong partners when they do their hits. So, the real Raul who set up the other night because it was the Martin Luther King uh, assassination anniversary. Yeah. yeah. So the the, uh, the real Raul, his name is Vincent Caltagirone Jr., and he is. Not only the former brother-in-law of Jack Valenti up until 1961, he was also the first cousin of a woman named Mary Boots Roberts, who ran the Winterland ice skating rink where David Ferry allegedly went ice skating the weekend of the assassination. That's a whole long story. Okay. But the, for me, what really cracked the whole assassination was the Winterland and the connection to Jack Valente. Um, so... David Ferry fires this shot from the corner of the picket fence and the shot hits Kennedy in the throat. Um, he's observed by a man named Ed Hoffman. Now, this picture down on the right, that's Ed Hoffman in the middle. That's him working on the set of the JFK film in 1991. The man who he described looks exactly like the man on the left. Okay. And I determined that that was David Ferry. And I'll show you exactly how I determined that. But first, I'll show you exactly what he does. Ed Hoffman sees David Ferry from over here, from across the Stemmons Freeway. David Ferry then from there walks, after shooting the president, he throws the rifle to Andrew Jerome Blackman. He then walks from, the, from here to the corner of the pergola, where he is photographed right there, standing on the pergola. Now, there's another photograph from this general area, and there's some tampering. And you can tell that there's been some tampering, because... The area on the pergola, obviously where David Ferry was standing, now has a black patch over it. Right? Uh, yes, so it this does. picture's great. <laughs> yeah, they just put a black patch over it to cover up the fact that David Ferry was standing there. Okay? Hmm. So, yeah, uh, definitely David Ferry. Definitely they're trying to cover it up. Here's another picture of him back in the railroad yards. And the picture that really did it for me, besides the understanding the, the series of events involving the witnesses and how he moved around, I'm not just going off of photos to to. Uh, come to my conclusions the photos i find usually after the fact and i'm like damn there he was the whole time mm -hmm. but then there's this photo of david ferry on the left wearing the same hat in daily plaza on the mm -hmm. right he's probably wearing the same suit but that's a confirmed picture of david ferry and it's the same hat on the right hand side okay so that's the first shots uh the next series of shots nobody really knows or you'll never be able to determine but there were i say there were at least nine or ten shots 
happening had to have been there were so many shells collected and so many casings and and actual bullets retrieved from the limousine way more than the three that they tell us but lawrence howard uh he fires from the sniper's nest mm-hmm. and this next picture here i think is pretty fascinating uh this is uh the Alchins photo and i determined that emilio santana was underneath the fire escape now, the re- this, I, I have about five pages uh, written in my chapter on how I determined it was Emilio Santana, but ultimately he came to town with uh, Sergio Arcacha Smith. Sergio Arcacha Smith, I trace his actions out of Dallas, and he does not take Emilio Santana. Plus, there's an incident with Baker, which we're going to go over, which I pretty, pretty much uh, shows that Emilio Santana gets arrested in Dealey Plaza. But what I did was I took this photograph and I blew it up and I ran it through some filters. And out of the darkness came just this vague whiteness of hands and a face. So the, I, I believe the shooter was right there underneath the fire escape. Um, it, it wouldn't make sense for him to be in the building. Yeah. If he was inside the building, I mean, how would he get out? How would he escape? I guess a bunch of people were arrested coming out of there. Um, it was, uh, you know, this is probably the best place for him. Plus, um, Officer Baker is caught in the couch film and i don't believe that he actually enters the deposit millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil also known as cbd this new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body if you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment please visit www.naturalhempoil.com that's www.naturalhempoil.com cbd is now legal in over 40 states and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3 percent thc levels we also offer products for household pets natural NaturalHempOil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.NaturalHempOil.com. That's www.NaturalHempOil.com. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. That's why tens of thousands are using this amazing little device from SavePowerBills.com. It's a small but smart gadget that stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your electronics. Just plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Order now to get 65% off plus many free bonuses before they sell out by going to SavePowerBills.com. That's SavePowerBills.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. That's why tens of thousands are using this amazing little device from SavePowerBills.com. It's a small but smart gadget that stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your electronics. Just plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Order now to get 65% off plus many free bonuses before they sell out by going to SavePowerBills.com. That's SavePowerBills.com. Order now. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Between mass shootings, homicides, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjacking, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight includes an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass-breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope and wire cutter, siren, high and low LED lighting mode, and much more. Simply place your order now to get 66% off along with many other free bonuses before they sell out by going to www.fighterflare.com. Order now at www.fighterflare.com fighterflare.com
human catastrophe is closing in. Nobody knows how far this one is going to go. You can feel the heat as tension is rising globally. War is expensive. Open a Noble Gold Investments IRA today, and you can claim a free 3-ounce silver American virtue coin. Just use the promo code GOLD. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com now. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Investing in precious metals, including gold, involves risks. Consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision. 90 seconds after the shooting happened. So we're all familiar with the story of how uh, Officer Baker and Roy Truly, they run into Oswald on the second floor drinking a Coke. And so that's always been the defense for Oswald, that he could not have been a shooter and then made it down the stairs past Victoria Adams to make it to the second floor lunchroom and drink a Coke to get busted by Baker and Truly. That story never happened. It's a myth. It never happened whatsoever. And we'll get to what really did happen. But back to the Daltex building. This is pretty fascinating. And it tells you a little bit about what was going on in the Daltex. This is from the Jim Garrison files. Did you know that until 1962 or early 63, the Texas School Book Depository occupied the first floor of the Daltex building? The building they now occupy was known as the old John M. Sexton building. I have almost completed a list of all the occupants of the Daltex building. Many of them are still here. However, the mass exodus after November 63 seems to have been to 1801 North Lamar. The Daltex building seems to have been and be a sort of Jewish family affair. At least they were mixed up in each other's businesses, etc. They are mixed up in all kinds of things which don't show up in the records, uranium, etc. Haven't been able to find oil yet, but I'm still looking. Hey, so tell me, tell me building, one more time. Tell me one more time before you continue. Who wrote this and in what context? Um, this is from the Jim Garrison files and. This was written up by one of his researchers who went to Dallas to pull information on the Daltex building itself. The Daltex okay. building was owned by a couple guys. It was owned by Morris Jaffe, who was a Mexican Jew who was best friends with Lyndon Johnson. It was partially owned by Sam Bloom. Sam Bloom uh, was a longtime Dallas businessman who was connected to the Bronfmans and uh, the World Zionist Congress and all this stuff. Okay. He is actually the man who met with the heads of the individual alphabet agencies in regards to the assassination. I have documents of showing that he met with Forrest Sorrells, J. Walton Moore of the FBI. He met with all the three-letter agencies. And so I've concluded that Sam Bloom was like the focal point of coordination in Dallas okay. uh, between <clears throat> between um, Kenny O'Donnell, who was Kennedy's right-hand man. Kenny O'Donnell was Kennedy's right-hand man, and he was totally in on this. And I'll prove it here momentarily. But he was in direct, connect, in direct contact to Sam Bloom, who was organizing um, the motorcade on behalf of the Dallas Citizens Council. So Sam Bloom sat on the board of the Dallas Citizens Council, which was the organization that controlled where the motorcade went and where Kennedy got to speak and all that stuff. Okay. Who okay. else sat on the board of the Dallas Citizens Council? Jack Valente. Okay. Um, All right. So, and then also, moving. Um, there's a lot of talk recently about uh, the 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 limousine driver having something to do with it. And there's a video going around that you know seems to show him turning around and firing a shot. What's your opinion on on that? Okay. So that's total crap because the, what they're seeing as the gun is actually the top of Roy Kellerman's head. That is not okay. a gun. It's a. It's if you look at it, you can see it's the light reflecting off of Roy Kellerman's head. Okay. Okay. So no, okay. but the driver is complicit a hundred percent, and we're about to show that right now. Okay. I'm going to skip ahead to that. So the Secret Service car pulls into Daily Plaza. There's ten men on it. Okay. Two of them will exit from this vehicle. One of them is Clint Hill. 
who will run to the president's limousine. He's a secret service agent who runs to the president's limousine. And then you have Dave Powers, assistant to the president, who just gets out of the car entirely. However, that will soon change. Kennedy is shot. Clint Hill runs to the limousine in front. Um, In front of the president's limousine is the lead car, and you can tell the brakes are on. Mm-hmm. So um, the lead car, this is the McIntyre photo. You can tell that the lead car and the limousine, they're doing some kind of jumping jacks, mm-hmm. right? So you have the lead car jumping around the limousine, but another image, you have the limousine jumping around the lead car again. So they're doing this kind of funky leapfrog, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at who was supposed to be on the side of the Secret Service car as it pulls into Dealey Plaza, it's two guys, John D. Jack Reedy and Paul E. Landis. These are the Secret Service guys who were on the side of the of the Secret Service car while the president's limo was in front of them. Mm-hmm. And that stays true all the way into Dealey Plaza. Once you get into Dealey Plaza, those guys are still there. This is about to change. Okay. I have the statements from both of these guys, and both of these guys lied about. What they did here in Dealey Plaza, they lied about when they entered the Secret Service car. And then ultimately, what you have here is after the president makes it, after the president's limo makes it through Dealey Plaza, the Secret Service car is back to having 10 men on it because they picked up two passengers. And the two passengers that they picked up were Jack Valenti and David Morales. Jack Valenti was the grassy knoll shooter. Jack Valenti shoots the president from the grassy knoll. He goes over the top of the railroad of the railroad tracks, the triple underpass. A witness saw a man named Tom Tilson, saw a man slide down the other side of the grassy knoll with a rifle and get into a black car. From there, his statements kind of fall apart. But nonetheless, this is exactly what happened. Jack Valenti shoots the president. He comes over the top of the grassy knoll. Then he is picked up by William Greer, the driver of the limousine, picks him up. And we can prove that right here. So on the car on the right is the lead car that contains four Sorrels, Decker, Curry, those guys. And then you have the the president's limousine. And behind the president's limousine, you have the Secret Service car. Now, there were two men on the side of the Secret Service car. Now there's only one. Mm -hmm. And this guy's got a flat top. Okay. None of the guys who are on the Secret Service car had a flat top. Basically, what happens is, and I have to assume this is some sort of weird occultic ritual because there's no other rational explanation on why you would ever do something like this. But it appears to me that there is a man standing in the back of the president's limousine and he's holding a rifle, and that man's Jack Valente. You can see him right here. It's clearly not somebody on the side of the Secret Service car because they are holding something that is in front of the of the upper rim of the Secret Service car, okay? So you have Jack Valenti, who gets picked up by William Greer. And you can tell that there's only one person on the side of the Secret Service car and that that person has a flat top. However, by the next photograph, as we've seen, now there's two people on the side of the Secret Service car, and one of them is Jack Valenti. So based on the totality of circumstances, it appears as though Jack Valenti was picked up by Greer, They do the jumping jacks in order to obscure what they're actually doing with the car, the leapfrog game, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They totally jump around each other a couple different times. And then next thing you know, you have two people on the side of the car, one being Jack Valenti, the other being David Morales, the one and only David Morales, who is uh, basically a myth in uh, in, in CIA legends. So, yeah. And when you count the number of people on the car now, now you're up to 10 when there should have been only eight. And if you ask me, 
This is kind of like the slam dunk proof that the Secret Service was involved with the assassination. Kenny O'Donnell was a liar. These guys are all liars because those two guys who they picked up, Jack Valenti and David Morales, were the grassy knoll shooter and his handler. So what has to happen is Dave Powers gets out in Daly Plaza. The Secret Service star comes to a complete stop when he does. At that point in time, David Morales had to have stepped onto the side of the car because you can tell he's already there. He's already on the car by the time they get to the underpass. So I don't see any other explanation except for they picked him up in Daly Plaza, which resulted in this. Ten men being on the car when there should only be eight. And the greatest thing about this is from here they go to, and this makes a lot of sense, because from here the Secret Service car goes to Parkland Hospital. And what happens in Parkland Hospital? They find the magic bullet. Mm-hmm. The magic bullet is found on a stretcher in the basement of Parkland Hospital. Jack Valenti puts himself in the basement. He says he, find, he found himself in the basement of Parkland Hospital when he's grabbed by Cliff Carter, an assistant to Johnson, and then he's taken to Johnson, and then he leaves on Air Force One. Jack Valenti had the bullets uh, in his pocket to plant at Parkland Hospital, and the bullets that were planted at Parkland Hospital were not a Carcana round. It was a, a round fired from a 303, a pointed tip Enfield 303 round. And we know this because of the statements made by Daryl Tomlinson and O.P. Wright, who were the two employees of Parkland Hospital who found the magic bullet. When you go through the chain of custody on the magic bullet, what you really come to understand is that it made its way from those two guys at Parkland to the Secret Service, to the FBI, and then the FBI swapped the bullet out for what we now know as the magic bullet, which is uh, a 6.5 millimeter Carcano round. Mm. But the initial bullet that was found by O.P. Wright and Daryl Tomlinson, both of them provided statements indicating it was a pointed tip round similar to a 303. So Be, we're, we're going to have to open the phones here in just a moment, Corey. I, I want to make sure, sure that you complete your, your thought process before we do. But um, before we before you, you finish up, can you just refresh everybody's memory on who Jack Valenti was in the context yeah. of the situation? Because I know that eventually he became like was didn't he wasn't he the head of the uh, the academy or something like that, or he was uh, uh, yes. someone so, in Hollywood. Jack Valenti is a perfect example of somebody who was groomed from the time they were a child. Um, by the time he was fifteen, he, he was working for Humble Oil and he was working for Prescott Bush and George Bush. He was a lifelong friend of George Demornshield, who was Oswald Tandler in Dallas. Yes. Yes. Um, at the time of the assassination. Allegedly, he's some bomber pilot and he flew 50 bombing missions, but I've pretty much narrowed down his military career to him only be, having been in Europe for four months. Uh, the entire war, he was in America for most of it. Um, so uh, I think his bombing record is totally fake. He was obviously a trained assassin. There was some indication he was working with Jean-Pierre Lafitte, who was the real QJ win during World War II with the Nazis on behalf of Alan Dulles. So uh, there's a lot, there's very vague information on that, but he is uh, not who people think he is. He ends up getting a job in the White House on November 22nd, 1963, because he and Lyndon Johnson are thick as thieves. Um, On top of that, they've been having a sexual relationship because, you know, those, I don't even want to get into it, but who knows? Those guys are just... That's a whole other whole part other of thing. it. You I mean quite often be, they tend to be just very loose with uh, with who they're having sex with. I mean, I don't know that anybody yeah, yeah. in in this kind of dark web of of this global cabal really identify as any one thing or another. It's like if you're a spy and you've been trained as an assassin, then uh, I'm pretty certain that they train you to be sexually available to whoever is in front of you at that moment because that sexuality is a tool that's going to be used in the same way that a gun is a tool that's going to be used or that uh, 
you know, your cover is a tool that's going to be used all across the board. You basically have to be as malleable as you possibly can be. And I just want to make the uh, uh, connection here too. Uh, you know, with the ascendancy of Jack Valenti, that's uh, that's another uh, uh, hallmark of people that are involved in a, a deep cover operation like this. You know, they 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 play ball, they they do something really horrible. And as a result, like they can be controlled, but they're also rewarded with in- incredible riches and fame. And and they're sent into these positions kind of in the same way that Danny mm-hmm. Green was. You know, someone comes yeah. out of nowhere, seemingly, uh, to just gain uh, great prominence and, and vast wealth. Yes. And with Jack Valente, I mean, it, it was seemingly obvious he was groomed from a young age. I mean, but he was born into two mob families, the, the George family and the Valente family. So... You know, he was there must have been some connection to politics through the Houston mob. His mother was through the Houston by 63. The Houston mob was no longer. But way before that, you know, from the 30s and 40s, they were pretty uh, powerful player in Texas. Um, So he must have been born right into that. um, Just in the perfect, perfect place at the perfect time, knew the right people uh, to be funneled into intelligence by the time he gets to, into the war. Um, and then of course he graduates from Harvard business school, in 1948, where his mentor is Henry Kissinger. And then he, after Jack ends up leaving the white house in 66, his handler post 66 was hen- two people, Henry Kissinger and Richard Helms directly. Mm-hmm. Two of the more important people in the world at the time were his direct handlers. So if that tells you how important he was, um, there's a lot more on Valenti that I don't know. There's a lot of blanks that I need to fill in, but I can tell you with certainty, there is a ton of stuff out there on him under his aliases that I have not been able to locate yet. But I think I have an inkling on what some of his aliases were. I just haven't had the, the time to him because he is going to be another book down the line. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Excellent. Uh, all right. Is that okay to open up the phones now? Go for it. And we can continue on with the conversation. All right, you guys. Uh, I've put the meeting ID and the call number up on the screen. I've dropped the Zoom link into all of the chats. If you have questions uh, about Corey's research or you have any questions about uh, research that you've done in the past, I would love to have you call in and we can discuss it. Uh, I saw something actually really interesting over here on the Getter chat. Uh, Thu's 41 says my great uncle was in the second secret service car. Uh, so I guess that would mean that, uh, Thu's uncle was in, or great uncle rather, was in the secret service himself. Um, <clears throat> do you think there's anybody here, uh, Corey, that, that might have been blameless? Uh, I mean, it sure seems like everybody who was supposed to be protecting Kennedy and certainly all, all of these people that were in the government. Uh, I mean, they were, you know, somehow tipped off or or had some part to play in the assassination itself. Mm. You're muted, buddy. <clears throat> Sorry about that. I keep looking for people who I could find in this mess of, of conspirators who is innocent. And it's hard. It's really hard. It's like, how could you not know this? How right. could you not have... You know, there's so many things that there are so many red flags that should have been picked up on that were intentionally not picked up on. It seems mm-hmm. I just I, it seems like everybody was in on it. Like I get the feeling like Dave Powers, who ends up getting out of the limit of the Secret Service car in Daily Plaza. Mm-hmm. I kind of get the feeling that he got out because he knew what was coming and he didn't want to be part of it. He didn't want to, to have anything to do with it. I can say with certainty, Kenny O'Donnell, who was uh, the right hand man of Kennedy. He was all up in it. He was probably the central connecting person between the White House and the forces on the ground in Dallas, to particularly Sam Bloom. Yeah. Um, 
There's no way he wasn't. And then he's in the car. All of the Secret Service agents who were in the car at the time when they pick up David Morales, who was the most notorious CIA guy of all time, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, they pick him up and they pick up Jack Valente on the other side of the grassy knoll. And they're just they're just sitting there and, and they never said a word about it. No, yeah. sorry. Like, they, it's just no possibility. I think for guys who truly liked Kennedy, like O'Donnell, it was we have to do this for the sake of the country. Because remember, in 63, there were no liberals, okay? If you were a liberal, you were like a conservative, um, but a liberal conservative. You know what I mean? There there were no liberals back then, right? You were conservative all the way. And so uh, even guys who like Kennedy who were liberal-ish, I still think that they saw him as a communist and that he was going to ultimately wreck the country. And so they went along with it. I, I think that there's like definitely people who were, they knew about it and they, they played an active role. I think that there's a possibility that that people may have been kept out of the loop. I mean, we know that intelligence agencies are highly compartmentalized. Uh, but then I think that there's also the distinct possibility that there were people who became aware of it, but understood that this was a freight train that was barreling down the tracks. And there's no way that one guy standing in front of a, you know, a 20 ton train is going to be able to stop it. You know, <clears throat> if you step in front of a freight train, you're going to get run over and that's it for you. So even if you know that there's this assassination of the president that's about to take place, you know, what are you supposed to do about it when you're surrounded by snakes? So, you know, I don't know. I don't want to excuse exactly. anyone. I don't want to excuse <laughs> anyone, but I just I can see it. I can understand. I mean, I, I think about what's happening in the world today. I think about the state of the United States government. Uh, I, I think, you know, uh, the, how vast it is, how many civil servants there are, how many people there are in the administrative branch of government, how many people work in Congress that are aides to these congressmen. You know, it, is it is it reasonable to believe that every single one of them is like a piece of shit? Is it reasonable to believe that every single one of them is, is active and complicit in this uh, this plot to destroy America? Or are there a lot of good people who are just afraid and they are they're, they're They don't want to say something because they don't want to wreck their own life. And they're not thinking about the long term effects of what's happening to this nation. You know, um, I was talking the other day, Corey, and you guys, I'm going to open the phones in just a sec. But we have uh, two people on the line. But I was thinking about, uh, you know, the the Zoomers, OK, the Zoomer generation they, who grew up after the fall of the Soviet Union, who who didn't have to face the Cold War like we did when we were kids. You know, we knew about communism. We knew about the scourge of Marxism and what it did to other nations. And it was actively preached against here in school. Well, once the communist uh, threat of the Soviet Union fell and we just started doing business with China, it's like everybody just stopped talking about communism and then they slowly started integrating it. So the Zoomers have no point of reference. All they know is that they've had communism impressed upon them as, you know, some futuristic Star Trek like government where everybody gets a little piece of everything and you're all happy and we can go to the holodeck and have anything we want printed for us. Um, but you know, in actuality, it's, it's a much, much darker reality. Now, um, before we bring in the first caller, Low Country Brooklyn earlier in the show said, boom, now you know why they are infiltrating the DPI and SEL, UN-driven initiatives. This is who Yi was talking about. To be clear, it's Marxism. Uh, and then Ludlow Bill says, another great show, Zach. And Brooklyn again says, hello, the Tish family. Let's not forget them. Larry Tish, ask about that. He served in the Office of Strategic Services the forerunner to the CIA. The Tisch family funds SEL charters. They are major Marxists. Are you familiar with the Tisch family? 
No. No. Okay. Well, something to look into in the, the context of your research. All right. First caller coming in. Caller, you're on the air. Make sure you mute that stream. And can we get your name? Caller, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Uh, you're you're very quiet, but uh, but yeah, I can hear you now. Go ahead and make sure you're speaking into the phone. Right. And, uh, and and can we get your name? Yeah, hi, this is Colin, bro. How you doing? Oh, Colin, good to hear from you, man. How you been? Yeah, working hard. Uh, I was sick for almost two months. Oh, wow. Uh, I got hit one time, and it took a while for me to get back up. And just as I was getting up, I got hit again. Mm. And uh, But it's been, it's you know, everything has its purpose. But, yeah, I'm working on several cases, and uh, I'm going to just, you know, the stuff I talked about before, uh, I just figured out yeah, that's what I'm. That's why I'm here, and I'm supposed to do it. So I've been busy with that, and a couple of the cases, they're, you know, they always come to a head at the same time, you know. Sure. And everyone's in a panic. <laughs> we got two days until. So you know, now they want to hear strategy. Anyway, I, it, this is not a big deal, and I unfortunately I won't be able to see it until after I hang up. But I don't know if I noticed it or not. First of all, great work, brother. Great work. Um, I'm very impressed. Let's put it that way. But I did want to see the pictures where you put the car side by side. And it just seems to me that those, yeah, it was around the part where you talk about the jumping jacks with the cars. And it just looked to me like the two car pictures, the first one where there's clearly another car behind it makes sense to me. But the second one is a different year car, isn't it? It looks um, like a staged picture because it would be real easy to do because there's nobody else except for the people standing right there. So, am I making sense? Is it possible that that's a picture that they stuck in? Yes, yes, posed, yes, a hundred percent. And I can't believe you actually caught that. Um, yes. So, um, right after the assassination, like a week or within a short amount of time. The Secret Service alone returned to Dealey Plaza and did a reenactment of the assassination. So I am convinced that many of the photographs that we see of the Secret Service car and those in that you know, series leaving Dealey Plaza going to Parkland, uh, there definitely is some shenanigans in there. Because that second photo, you made a good point. It doesn't make any fucking sense at all. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. It just, But it indicates... To me, it indicated that there was that leapfrog happening. The leapfrog, so the way I see it is the lead car, when it got to the underpass, it pulled over to the left. And then the Secret Service, the President's limo shoots past it, right? And then they shoot past the limousine again. So they do it really quick back to back. And I believe they did that to, to obfuscate the fact that the Secret Service car behind those two was doing shady shit, picking up passengers, all that stuff. Right, but that picture, that picture, uh, I, I haven't had time to analyze it, but I will. Um, but uh, that picture, the second picture, the first picture where they're in line and you can see the white car, okay, that that's definitely all, everything is in sync there. The shadows are fair. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Yeah, no, the shadows are fair, et cetera, et cetera. On the other one, it's not working, man. There's just too much... In the short time I got a chance to look at it, it's it, it's not on the same day, it's not the same light. Yep. Um, it's it, the car's not the same. So this it brings up a question. It brings up a question of why would they in in their reenactment 
why would they do the leapfrog during the reenactment? That's an interesting question. Well, well, the point that I'm making is that it's a propaganda picture created, and then they put it in to the people, you know, research people or the, you know, the, the people they call conspiracy theorists, mm-hmm. so that we have something to go on, so we get sidetracked or misuse it. You know, I see that happen a lot, like the difference between unalienable versus inalienable. Everyone believes it's inalienable. Right. It's not. It's unalienable, cannot be aligned, cannot be altered, cannot be deducted, cannot be uh, negotiated. Right. For, you know, like I said, a, you know, three, two, three, the trial of all crimes shall be by jury. Shall means they must do that. So whether you want to waive your rights or not, you can't. They, they can't accept it. That's what unalienable means. You cannot even waive it because you didn't give it to you. You were endowed with it by your creator. And that's the beauty about that. But anyway, so they're staging. They're giving you one of the things when you do research, I've learned you got to be very careful because they put all sorts of stuff in there just to to to, to get you to go, woohoo, look what I got yep. here. And then it's, it's like true. oh crap. They sure do. But I like a lot of what I like a lot of what you're saying. I would I would love to have a discussion if I had measurements or if I'd been there about the shooter that's coming from the drainage because from everything that I know, and I used to hang out in the drains on skateboards, the quickest way to get to around town really quickly. And it would explain a lot of the sounds that other people have investigated, the double echoes or whatnot, because when you go into the sewer, you get a different echo than you do if you're above ground um, because the sound comes through the sewer. So th- there's a lot of speculation on, on the sewer, but I can tell you with certainty there's mm-hmm. zero evidence for it, none. Let me, I've, let me I've looked for it. There's none. There's it's a lot of speculation, but there's there's mm-hmm. nothing. I mean, I can trace the activities of all the shooters from where they were, from their firing positions to where they went after that. Mm-hmm. And I have no indication whatsoever that there was a shooter in the sewer at all. There's Let's none see. of it. It doesn't make any okay. sense. It's such a r- hard, random shot yeah, to make. Have you put this on some sort of video? Yeah. That, you know, the longer full version that i can look at i'd love it man what you're doing is great yeah if you go to my website coreyhughes.org and click on the kennedy section go to his the history drop down you'll see kennedy and uh a warning from history is my seven hour um document it's more of a presentation than a documentary but it's got everything yeah yeah yeah. everything well i look i look forward to looking at it i appreciate all your work and uh i think it's great i just i just didn't you know i just i don't know much i mean i've looked at this I remember when it happened, to be honest with you. But anyway, it was just, there's too many things that line up, but there are still some, some things missing, in my opinion. I can't wait to look at your thing and, and blessings. Well, you know, if you Talk pre-order you. my book, you get my notes immediately. Like, you can download my notes right yeah, now. I, 630 pages. Honest, you know, I'm very fascinated. Uh, I, 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 you know, took a little time because it was just, you know, came up. Uh, to watch. Um, I got to get back to work, though. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Have Colin. a good one. We'll see you, buddy. Bless yep. you. Uh, let Let me just suggest something. You know, I mean, uh, we've seen that picture of, uh, you know, that kind of like uh, that that sewer, that open sewer that's right by where the car was going when the shots went off. I mean, is it possible that just the echo of the rifle shots could have created that echo in the sewer and perhaps, you know, just reverberated inside of it? I mean, that's possible, but like I said, I have not come across anything that has any tangible evidentiary right. value that would indicate there was anyone there. Right. And, and, exactly, and if someone you know, has just, something that they can show me, then I'll definitely look at it. But I've seen all the stuff out there on the storm drain and it just 
strikes me as see the reason people believe the storm drain is because there was one guy who ended up fleeing from daily plaza going to his, leaving a car in the parking lot going to his work his name was uh, jack lawrence and he ends up going uh to work and he's covered in like d- filth right like he was in the sewer yeah. and they end up calling the cops and the cops come and arrest the guy and it turns out he was a low-level mobster um who was working for the la mob uh, who had just moved to town and really just moved out of town right after the assassination very low level guy probably in daily plaza why he was covered in shit i have no idea but he definitely wasn't a shooter and i have i can't place him in the storm drain and none of the story about the storm drain just makes any sense to me at all sure. not when you got like the most badass hitman on the knoll you know who we can yeah. prove yeah so i i i feel you uh okay also low country brooklyn over on rumble said tish family they are media moguls, and their names are all over every building at NYU. New York build, billionaires own the holding company Lowe's Corporation. Okay, all right. Uh, in in you know, hearing that that sounds a, a little bit familiar. Okay, let's go ahead and bring in the next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Can we get your name? Snake Pliskin. Hey, what's up, DJ? And Sammy, <laughs> I am not wearing a sleeveless shirt. I I definitely have sleeves on. <laughs> It's just pink. <laughs> uh, all right. So, DJ, how are you, yeah, buddy? You look like you're, I'm good, buddy. You, you look like you're getting a really good tan down there. I am, yes. And the sun isn't even really out right now. Like, this is kind of just like the residual from when it was. But very soon, I will be, uh, I'll, I'll be totally bronzed again. Well, I, I just have to tell you, I hate you. You can come down here anytime, man. We'll, we'll gladly have you. I, I actually, you know what? Do you know? Do you know about the villages here in Florida? The villages is like the number one retirement party spot, and you know, not to be too crass, but it also apparently has a very big problem with sexually transmitted diseases because all of these retirees come down here, and I guess they just get drunk and party and stuff. But the reason I bring it up, DJ, is because there is always parties going on at the villages, like literally every single night. It's like a gated community where all they do is just like drink and like disco all the time. So I'm just presenting that as a possible opportunity for you for employment. Okay, very well. I'll look into it. Cool. I'll look cool. into it. Um, okay, so uh, Corey, you know it's funny that you're you're on the show again today because um, maybe about three weeks ago I was talking to somebody about the Kennedy assassination and I dug into. Um, Zach's feed, and I went all the way back to find, you know, the, your film, the, A Warning from History, and I sent it to my friend, and I, and I watched it again. And, I, you know, I think my, my friend and I are on the same page. Uh, slight criticism. There is just too much information there. <laughs> like, you, you, you literally have to take a bunch of notes I mean, because you you list everybody and where they came from and where they were and so on and so forth. It, it's really fascinating. Thank um, you. I'm always impressed I, I like when people tell me they watched it because it's so damn long. I just assume that like people will watch little clips of it or whatever. But if you actually watched all seven hours of it, like props to you, man. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's a real commitment. I watched all seven. I watched all seven hours twice. <laughs> Corey, have, awesome. you, thought, have you. you thought about just breaking it up into episodes so that it can be easier for people to digest? I mean, be, everybody. Well, what I'm thinking about, about doing is 
Once the book comes out, I think what I might do is I might do like a course. I think I might do one of those courses that you can get for like, you know, 59 sure. bucks and I'll do like 10, you know, 10 weeks and uh, you'll have one-on-one contact with me and all that stuff. I'm still trying to think through how to do it. That's a great but, idea. Uh, the book has been priority. Yeah. Getting the book out has been priority and it's, man, I've been crunching. Like I just finished this big, massive chapter and then I realized, oh my God, I didn't put half the stuff in that I wanted to. So I got to write another chapter. So like the <laughs> book is, the book is like one of those, like when you take a bunch of acid and walk down a hallway and the hallway just keeps getting longer in front of you, like that's how it's going yeah. with the book. It just keeps getting longer the more I write it. <laughs> that, ha- that happens to me a lot when I go to like do a new song or, or remix an old song. Like I start with this simple idea and before you know it, I'm there for a week and the song is like 15 minutes long. <laughs> I gotta like chop it up and break it down because it's way too long. No one's listening to that. Um, uh, there was something else I was going to say. Uh, yeah, maybe you should like kind of put the people, like all the people who are involved in like one volume and then actually put a put a sequence where from beginning to end mm-hmm. what happens. Yeah, so, so I'm finding so that like for me to get all this information across is really best is going to be in my book. Like I'm really kind of I've never written a book before, and I'm kind of surprised at like how well it's coming along. And like I'm really surprised that like with so much complicated stuff, I've been pretty on point about um, organizing my thoughts. So th- this book is going to be the it's not going to be the ultimate book on Kennedy because I thought about it and you need a encyclopedia. Like you can't, there's no one book that you can write that tells everything. It'd be 10,000 pages. Um, this book just plugs in all the gaps. It fills in all the, all the holes, all the, it identifies all the people shows the, um, the, the modes of transportation, how they got financed, who the financiers were, how the money got funneled through Montreal. Like I go into all that stuff. And so, yeah, the book will be the uh, definitive, um, place to to get the information for sure, but it's not like the entire story. There's a lot I'm leaving out because I just can't write everything in once. So um, okay, so uh, the theory about the the drains, the the sewer drain, you know the what do you, what would you call it? Yeah, the storm drain. It's on the side. right, the storm drain. I think, um, you know, I, I think I mentioned this to you the last time I spoke. I, I think that would have been the perfect place to put the kill shot. It would be a very easy shot. The, the car is only 10 feet from you. And they actually slowed down at that point. So I, I Yeah, I'm convinced. That, you know, um, even though you haven't found, even though you haven't found, you know, any information about somebody who was in that storm drain, there could very well have been somebody in that storm drain. Um, That's all I'm saying. I'll I'll leave open the possibility, but uh, just based on what I've seen, I just haven't seen anything indicating it. Like I can go over each of the positions of the shooters and I can explain in detail how I came to the conclusions I did uh, and lay out all the information. And just this hasn't been nothing to indicate it. I think it was just it feels like one of those distractionary theories. Well, I, I, maybe, you know, you, you, there, I forget this. There's actually a word for it when you insert a lie into the truth, not to disprove the truth, but it's to make the truth less believable. I forget what the word is, but there's actually a word for that. Um, so maybe that, that may be exactly what that is. But I also wanted to say that there was a picture that you put up earlier of somebody who was um, under the fire state, under the fire escape in a window. Emilio Santana, yes. 
Yeah, I, I I was looking at that picture and I was I was saying to myself that person is clearly holding a rifle in the hand. I mean, it, it looked because like it, didn't it? Because of the position of the hands, right? What what could he be holding if he's not holding a rifle? The position he's like it's like a rifle at kind of at the ready when you when you're ready to throw the barrel out and you know shoulder it up and shoot, right? Yeah, so I yeah, believe what actually happens that. there is he comes down off of the ledge. And in the couch film, the, uh, the Malcolm couch film, you can see uh, Baker's motorcycle is there and you can see him running towards what looks like the front steps of the depository. But he doesn't go in the front steps of the depository. He runs past it and he runs north on Houston Street. And I, the reason I believe this is because an arrest was most certainly made within those few minutes in front of the depository as is captured in the Willis photo number 10. Willis photo number 10 clearly shows a man dressed all in black being arrested in front of the book depository. And in the background, there is a officer who is holding a rifle, which I identified as a Mauser 7.65, the third of three that were used in the assassination. And so if that happened, there had to have been a time when um, between the time Emilio Santana jumps down from the ledge and when Baker goes into the book depository and having totally debunked the idea that the uh, Oswald incident happened 90 seconds after the assassination, um, it opened up the door uh, to the timeline being completely off. And so what really did it for me was the statements of Robert McNeil. Robert McNeil, who has uh, the McNeil Lauer Hour, he was an NBC reporter. Right. He was actually in Daily Plaza. He goes into the book depository to use the phone. He uses the phone and he has a timestamp from his New York uh, NBC news desk at exactly 1236 p.m. And he says in his statement to Dallas police, no cops entered the building before him or until after he left, which puts the earliest that Baker could have entered the book depository, 1237, which makes perfect sense to me because William Seymour reenters the book depository. He goes up to the sixth floor. He does whatever he does on the sixth floor. And then he begins his descent down the stairs. It is between the fourth and third floor that William Seymour, who was identified as Oswald in the book depository, is stopped by Baker and Truly. Truly identifies him as an employee of the depository, and they let him go. He continues to walk down the stairs. Okay, they probably hold him until 1239. 1239, he comes down the stairs, and at exactly 1240, he emerges from the side of the book depository, where Roger Craig, uh, Fred Robinson, and a bunch of other people identify this man as Lee Harvey Oswald. They say he comes down the hill and gets into a green Nash Rambler. That Nash Rambler was owned and driven by Lawrence Howard, period. And who was his buddy? His buddy was William Seymour, not Oswald. I have zero evidence Oswald ever stepped foot in that building. And when Oswald is, is questioned later about that, he's asked by interviewers if he was in that building. What is his response? He doesn't say he was ever in that building. They ask him if he was there. And he says, naturally, if I work in that building. Typical spy answer. Didn't mm -hmm. give an answer, okay? Because he wasn't there. He was in Fort Worth all morning until he caught a cab at about 1230 from Fort Worth to the Texas Theater, where he was driven there by a cabbie named Travy Delano Boclick, who just happened to mysteriously die in a plane crash in 1967. Small oh, yeah. plane crash, by the way. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, Oswald was not at the book depository. He was home all day till he goes to the theater. And when he gets to the theater... Um, he goes in and he meets with a handler. He meets with a pregnant woman who he speaks with for a while, gets up, they leave. He gets uh, some popcorn and goes back and sits in the theater at 115 and stays there until he's arrested. So yeah, he met with a handler. He was told to stay there and Oswald is then scooped up out of the front of the positive, out of the front of the Texas theater while Carrie Thornley is scooped up out of the back. So yeah, that's a series of events that placed them there. 
All right, DJ, we've got four other people on the line in 25 minutes left, so I want to make sure we get to everybody. Do you have any final thoughts for Corey on this? Um, No thoughts for Corey, but just a a little bit for you. How'd you like the pyramid? Uh, Yeah, the pyramid is awesome. Uh, I think that's pretty sweet. And just uh, I'll leave it at that. Very, very cool. When you come into New York, if you come to New York, um, email me and, uh, and, you know, you can come by. Absolutely. I, I certainly I'll, I'll will. That would the, be awesome. I'll show you the building. Right. On. I, I got to do that because, you know, you, you already said that I'm going to be the DJ for your wedding. By the hey. way, when is that? <laughs> we, we're still working on the date. We should have something p- uh, picked within the next week or so. Well, congratulate you both. Congratulations you. to both of you. Um, and congratulations to Red Pill Mom, who's going to get a new daughter. Um, and let me get off the phone. As usual, we love you. I know you love us. God bless you guys, and God bless us all, and God bless America. God bless you, brother. We'll see you soon. Have a good one. Um, <clears throat> over on Getter, uh, Thuis said the name of his great uncle that was the Secret Service agent was Emery Roberts. Oh, yeah, Emery Roberts. Sure. He was in on it. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, Emery Roberts. So, um, yeah, Emery Roberts is the um, assistant special agent in charge that day, right? And so um, you have uh, John D. Jack Reedy. According to him, he gets off of the Secret Service car, runs to the limo, and he is pulled back by Emery Roberts. Emery Roberts says, no, get back here. And he returns to the Secret Service car. But None of that is captured in the Zapruder film. So mm-hmm. all we have is his word for it. But yeah, Emery Roberts, uh, most certainly in on it. Okay. Uh, and then also, uh, Ponzatali, uh, this is something that I hear often when people say, oh, you know, th- there couldn't be a conspiracy. He, they say, how could all these co-conspirators keep all this secret for 60 years? M- my answer to that is that the co-conspirators were mafia, and they were intelligence. They spent their entire lives and their entire career is all about keeping secrets, and they have plenty of people within those circles to talk to. Why would they go around telling a bunch of normies? You know, people think about this as if the individuals who would commit these acts are normal, like us, okay? You and I, we do something exciting or something that we're proud of, and we want to tell people, okay? You know, this is like uh, something that could put you in prison. This this would, uh, uh, you know, potentially get you killed of course people aren't going to talk about it with their their pool boy or the guy mowing their lawn you know or the Mm -hmm. guy sitting next to him at the bar they're just not going to do that uh okay next caller what i tell people is yeah what i tell people is uh we didn't find out about the manhattan project till the 80s so Mm -hmm. that was 40 years that four hundred thousand people kept a secret that's incredible uh an excellent example uh caller you're on the air can we get your name uh, yes, Jess Mojo. Jess Mojo, welcome to the program. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. What a great show. Um, so I have something to say. Um, when you were talking about the gangster that was interviewed that was in mud, have you heard about the coal shoot theory that where you keep calling a drainage ditch was an actual coal shoot from the 171800 for the train tracks. Um yeah, so I don't know anything about that and like I said before I just don't have any evidence that there was anything there. I there's nothing else for me to say it's on there. it. It's there. 
Yeah, there's actually something there. And if you go back through the documents, um, I used to know a reporter. Um, I knew a man that owned the Fort Worth. I think it was called the Tribune, but he was actually a reporter on the ground during um, the Kennedy assassination. Assassination. Sorry. And he actually wrote about the coal shoot. Um, and no one's really picked up on that. And why would the guy be filthy unless he was running through a coal shoot? <laughs> right. That makes right. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, so something to uh, to check out anyway. for the second book, I think. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It was Jack Lawrence who was yeah. in the, it was covered in, in the in the filth. So but, uh, he, you know, he just seemed to me like a low level mob guy. So Correct. I can't I can't seem to place Correct. anyone else there. Hold but, on, you know, they use low level people to do certain things. Correct. But that's um, I met an older man on a tour in Dealey Plaza and he pointed out where it was. So where the X is about 30 steps. 30 feet is where the actual coal shoot was. And due to the city's budget, they didn't have the money to implode the chute. So they made it in, they just sealed it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But in the sixties, it was, it was a coal shoot that they never did anything about. And it's very close to where the drainage sewage system was. Weird. Uh, well, yeah. definitely something to check out yeah. for sure. I'll take a, I'll take another look at it. Oh, okay. Right. Well, that was it. That's all I got. So, all right. Anyway, have a great show, guys. Thank Thanks you. You lot. too. Thanks for the call. Bye. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Can we get your name? Hey, it's Roberto, buddy. What's up, Roberto? Good to hear from you. How you doing? Not too bad, but how you feeling? Doing any better? I am definitely better, yes. I've still got a bit of a frog in my throat, but other than that, I'm pretty much back to normal. Oh, well, that's good to hear, man. Uh, Corey, are you familiar with uh, Michael Collins Piper? Oh, of course. He's the, he's the, yeah, he was the uh, GOAT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was. And, I mean, I, I read his book, Final Judgment, when he was talking about the uh, the link of uh, Mossad and, and all of the CIA and everything. And you're on. Um, we'll, we'll have to put you up there with Jim Mars and and him because I mean, I, I mean, some of the things that they came out with over the course of the years, it, it would have been interesting if they were still alive. How they would work with you on something like this? Because you know, did you ever come across the uh, statement made by Jackie Onassis that the reason why she married him was because her she knew that eventually they were going to come after all the Kennedys. No, um, I'm not too much of a researcher in the realm of uh, Kennedy and his life in general. Um, so I don't know too much about that. But I mean, I have to think at that level, all of those weddings are arranged to some degree. Well, she was originally supposed to marry a British aristocrat. I think it was uh, Ogilvy or Ogre or something like that. And she chose to marry... Onassis based on the fact that he had the money and the means and security to keep her and her family safe because, again, the underlying thought 
that, that she said was eventually they're going to come after all of us, meaning the entire Kennedy family. And when you look at the history of the Kennedys, and, and I'm, I'm strictly alluding to the fact that, you know, the, the, the intelligence agencies and what you were talking about with uh, Mossad and everything being involved in all this, trying to silence everything about what Kennedy was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, when you reference the bomb and everything, you know? No, I mean, when you look at the era, his number one priority was nuclear deproliferation. I always say that word wrong. Uh, Getting rid of nukes around the world. That was top priority. And the top priority for Israel was to get the bomb, which they had been stealing the uh, material from us, right? So what you have is an immovable object and an unstoppable force. And now we know what happens when those two things collide. This is such an important point for people to understand, because in today's world, so many people have the bomb. You know, I mean, we just take it for granted. You know, I mean, the United States used it in World War Two, and now a whole bunch of countries got it. And, you know, there's some conversation about it on a global scale. But I mean, by and large, the bomb exists. People have it and people just, you know, think it's no big deal. But back in the 1960s, especially with Kennedy's focus on nuclear nonproliferation and Israel's, uh, you know, focus on just existing and getting the bomb as a means to protect themselves ostensibly from the threats in the Middle East. I mean, people forget what very powerful individuals are willing to do to get what they want. You know, I mean, they have killed people. They have killed leaders for a lot less than getting their hands on the ability to create a nuclear weapon. Roberto, go ahead. And well, and to further kind of espouse upon that, you had brought up Theodore Herschel and, and Zionism and everything that, that goes goes along with it. There's an interesting pamphlet out there written by a, an author by the name of Jack Bernstein. It's titled An American Jew in Racist Marxist Israel. Now, it was written by what they considered an ultra right-wing you know, publisher, but to tell you the truth, I can't even find anything on it. Supposedly, he was murdered by Mossad, but he, he was starting to point out a lot of these things that was being done in the Middle East. Now, you jump forward to Iran and Ahmadinejad holding meetings with um, Orthodox Jews because I were against Zionism mm-hmm. and the anti-Zionist Jewish movement in this country. You start to see, like you were saying, all these lesser Jews are being considered, you know, lesser people when they hold closer to the faith than even the people that claim to be of the faith. You know what I mean? And one of the things that I've talked to talk with Zach about is that if you step back and you look at everything that is happening globally speaking, and Kennedy was the first, the first part of it. And, and Martin Luther King is on the second part. If you haven't looked into it, look into uh, Martin Luther King was actually a communist, not preaching what he was, what people thought he was preaching. His handler was a Zionist. Exactly. His Jewish handler was a Zionist. And when, you, and when you look at everything on a global scale, you look at that, that everything is designed to get rid of the orthodoxy. And you look at how much Russian is being demonized because they are an orthodox country or an orthodox religious structure. Mm-hmm. You know, and the only way you can you, you, can, you can push for a, a massive global change in tradition is to get rid of tradition and to get rid of orthodoxy of any scale, not just, you know, Jewish orthodoxy. We're talking Catholic, Christian, you know, even the, the more conservative uh, Muslim theology. So, you know, well, I would say that, the, great that the, the, I would say that the the demonization of Russia goes way, way deeper than anyone really thinks. Uh, sure. the, in my opinion, Absolutely. the demonization of Russia goes all the way back to. 1220 AD, when the Russians drove the Khazarians out of the area that is now the Donbass and the Ukraine into Europe. And that's where you had the large Ashkenazi settlements in 1220 in Germany and Poland. They're not from the Middle East. Ashkenazi Jews are from the Ukraine. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, I believe that the demonization of Russia is a thousand year old grudge um, for destroying their original homeland. That's just my opinion. And I, w- I would agree with you on that. In fact, if you look into Slomo Shan, who wrote the book, The Invention of the Jewish People, who's a mm-hmm. professor emeritus of Tel Aviv, I've got that. he considers himself in Israel not a Jew. It's a great book. I mean, it's a historiographical research on, on the Jewish people. And then there's a interesting video that I came across on Facebook about this guy who actually did a uh, connection between Ukraine and the Kanzarian history. And it was just, it blew my mind to say the least, you know, but, you know, this has been discussing from people like Benjamin Freeman, um, Arthur Kessler throughout the year. Yep. So, I mean, it's just, you know, in your opinion, how do you start to fight these people <laughs> That, that that hide behind the shadows so deeply entrenched in everything. You know, like, Zach, you made up the point about the Zoomers and everything. You know, when the CIA, when, when they came out and the CIA said, well, we're not going to release any of these documents because of how much it's going to affect everybody, they're waiting for anybody and everybody that will remember or have anything to do with JFK's um, presidency to die that way when they do come out with the information. Everybody will be like, oh, well, it's not surprising. You know, governments do this all mm-hmm. the time. You know, so, I mean, this is, you know, it gets exposed more, but less action gets taken because of the fact that either nobody cares or it's like, well, this is just the norm now. You know, corruption is is rampant. Yeah. um, And as far as how do we fight this? Yeah, I don't have a clue. I don't know. I mean, we can look at what's been done historically and that didn't work. So we got we're fucked. That's the bottom line. It's over. Like I joke around with my buddies that, you know, the, the answer is a giant meteor to come and cleanse the earth of all of us puny humans so that the next generation, Brother. a couple billion years from now, will actually have a fighting chance because we're done as a species. I think yeah. we're fucked. God, I, I hope that's not yeah. it. But listen, R- Roberto, <laughs> we got we got two more people on the line and we've only got 10 minutes left. So uh, thank you very much no for worries, your brother. call. Appreciate it. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace. All right. Next caller coming in. <clears throat> caller, you're on the air. Can we get your name? Hi, my name's Kathy. Hi, Kathy. And Welcome I to the just program. Wanna... Hi, thanks. I My question is on the Jewish holiday forum. I have a hard time with your logic on that because I work for an Orthodox company mm-hmm. and Purim is always celebrated in, in March. March. Correct. And, um, Right. It, right. And so they call it their drinking holiday, mm-hmm. and that's because it's their celebration. So why the closest holiday would be Hanukkah right around November, December, right. and them all bringing their children right. dressed up? So the, the, it's the, the Purim, you're, okay, so the, the Jews, as per the Talmud, can only commit sacrifice sacrifice at the Temple Mount, and it was destroyed in 70 AD. So technically, they're not supposed to be committing any sacrifices, but that's false. They do. And the legal exception to the sacrifice rule in Judaism uh, is that they can commit a sacrifice um, where there's two times. One is on Passover, and the other is Purim. And on Purim, they can do a sacrifice if it is a, if it is a Purim festival. Therefore, the use of the Purim ceremonial robes and the kids in the Purim outfits. Um, it is symbolic. So to, as to maintain the legalistic nature of the assassination, to keep it within the bounds of their religion. That's why it was done that way. Now, so, we might look at it and say, hey, that's retarded. But to them, it made perfect sense. And that's not even the only assassination where this has occurred. I, this has happened at the assassination of Mayor Anton Cermak, 1931. 
Um, if you look through the pictures, you will find these these rabbis in Purim ceremonial robes at the assassination of Anton Cermak as well. Um, I have a feeling you will find them a lot more places. Well, because to me, it almost makes sense like the Day of Atonement, you know, because they make their sacrifice, you know, the ward of sin, so they're getting rid of it. So that's, having worked with them for 10 years, I'm familiar with their holidays and what they can celebrate. Mm -hmm. That's why I just have a hard time with them going with outside because they're very faithful on their day. Right. So let me explain this a little more. Um, So you have the people who were involved in this, and I can tell you the organizations, there were two, was the followers of Set and the Temple of Baal. Those are the two organizations who are in Daily Plaza. And those organizations are, they, like most Zionists, they cling to the teachings of the Talmud, thinking that there's secret hidden meaning to the point where many of them go to the pre-Abrahamic Canaanite, the very limited amount of information that comes from the Canaanite religion. And so okay. a lot of these, a lot of the sacrifice and stuff comes from that pre-Abrahamic Canaanite uh, kind of religion. Like I can tell you with certainty that before the Ashkenazi Jews were Jews, they followed a religion called Tangritism. And Tangritism was the same religion that um, Attila the Hun was, I believe. And so uh, that was a, basically a religion that was based on black magic. And so what you have in the, in the eighth century is you have the Russians and the neighboring countries at the time uh, basically were having their people abducted and murdered and, and used in rituals by the uh, Khazarians, fundamentally, who before that were the Stygians. And so, but uh, ultimately, they were forced to convert to Judaism in, uh, in the 8th century. And that's where white Jews come from. That's where Ashkenazi Jews come from, Ukraine. Um, they were forced converts. So all white Jews today are descendants of converts, not no connection to the Israelites, no connection to Palestine, zero. And actually, the original Palestine probably wasn't even in Palestine. Uh, most of the evidence shows that their, the destruction of the first temple probably occurred in northern Ethiopia because the original Israelites were black. Black. I've the heard, slaves to the Egyptians were black. I've heard that suggested that quite sense. a few times. Yeah. So, so we're actually There were no white people about- in Africa. Two thousand years ago, (laughs) no white people in Africa, and so what we're really talking about here is like almost like a subsect cult of something that calls itself Judaism. Hundred percent, it's a subsect cult that digs into the Talmud and the pre-Abrahamic, you know, what limited texts there are, trying to leech from it some sort of uh, you know hidden meaning or hidden value, and so that's where all the stuff comes from, really. But yes, it is definitely a small subsect. It is most certainly not the vast majority of Jews. And when you study Herzl, you come to realize that he had no regard for the vast majority of Jews, period, and that they were nothing more than cannon fodder for the movement. And so, yeah, the the real Zionists are not even really Jews. They're really atheists or occultists. Okay, thank you so much. All right, have a good evening. Kathy, thank you so much for the great question. I appreciate it. Really good questions tonight. Yeah, we'll see you. Have a good one. Okay, you guys, final caller of the night, and then we're going to go through the thank yous over on the Foxhole. Caller, you are the final caller. Can we get your name? Uh, This is Sparky, my big. Hello, Sparky, my big. How are you tonight? Um, Great. Excellent. I love the conversation with you and Corey, and y'all did an amazing job. I just wanted to say that I loved the conversation 
and I thought it was great. And um, where can I purchase the book from Corey? Uh, would it be better if I purchased it from Amazon? Or, uh, well, that's another great question, because honestly, I have a feeling that I'm going to be deplatformed at some time. And so I'm really kind of pushing to pre-orders because I have a feeling that once the book comes out and some attention gets drawn on me, I'm not going to have the platforms to sell it on. And I'm going to have to build my own at that point. So pre-ordering it now is probably the best way to go about getting it. And you get all my notes and all the other stuff with it. And you can do that at buymeacoffee.com slash JFK book. That's simple. Um, let me write it down really quick. Where is it at? It's uh, buymeacoffee.com slash JFK book. Coffee. The link is in the show notes, actually. Oh, is it? I'm yes. on Getter. I'm usually on Foxhead, but I'm on Getter tonight. Is it in the Getter description? Um, yes, it will be in the Getter description as well. I've got a link directly to Corey's website and uh, and to purchase the book. And if you don't see it there, tell you what, um, I will drop. I will drop the links for Corey directly into the Getter chat right now so that you can grab them. Let me just find okay. them. Here please we go. Please, please do that. I, um, I want to give you gold pills. I love you so much, Zach. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Sparky, my big. And have a great night. You too. Thank you so much. All right. And you are awesome. Both of you are awesome. I love both of you. Thank you. Th- thank you so much. Love you too. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Uh, so at the very end of the show, Observer over on Rumble got very upset uh, about uh, uh, your your theories uh, about how this might have occurred and perhaps the, uh, uh, you know, these various sects within Judaism. And, you know, as I've always said, guys, you know, I mean, if there's something that you disagree with my guest on, I would really love it if you call into the show. I mean, I, I think that what I'm trying to do here is propagate a conversation. And uh, this is such a sore subject for people. It's like the golden calf. You can't talk about it. In these terms, and if if anything is related to Judaism, any aspect of it, then it immediately becomes offensive to people. And I feel like that's really short-sighted because, as I've said before, it doesn't matter who's Jewish, who's Christian, who's Muslim, who's an atheist. You can have evil people in any one of these religions, any one of these sects. They can identify as whatever they want in order to get cover. It's almost like pedophiles identifying as part of the LGBTQ community so that these minor attracted persons can gain access to children because we know that's what they want to do. Uh, it's very, I, I feel like if people were to think about it like that, it would become a little bit easier to swallow. You know, think about how intelligence agencies, how, how, uh, how, you know, evil people will maintain a cover take on an identity uh, in order to gain some aspect of whatever their grand scheme might be. You know, they'll do whatever it takes. Social observer, a different observer, says Semites are actually Arabs. Anti-Semitic was coined by a German scholar because anti-Jewish sounded too abrasive. Our history is so distorted right now. Absolutely right. Certainly heard that on many right. occasions. All right. So going through the thank yous over on pilled.net. 
Sean Joe, thank you very much for that cookie. Space Coast Patriot says, hi, Zach and the Foxhole fam. Filter Dog One says, hi and tight. Nice. Yeah, this is real high and tight. He went a little higher than I wanted him to, but it'll grow in in, a, in about a week. Uh, TikToks, good to see you, buddy. This one is going to be an interesting topic. Thank you for this one, Red Pill. No problem. Loyal to the foil. Good to see you. But yeah, I want you to call in next time, too. Uh, dropping a cookie. Appreciate it. PC Tech Pro says, very interesting discussion here tonight. Casey dropping some shades. Matt, 17. 76, one of the creators of the foxhole dropped a cookie. I appreciate that. Crystal Jane, thank you very much for the shades. Vader369 says, much love RP. True Grit says, I love this interview. Also, Roger Stone and Chris Fulton both claim that LG, LBJ is connected with the shooting of JFK. And Corey, I believe we talked about that the last time you were on the show, too. Mm-hmm. LG yeah, I don't buy it. You I don't, don't buy, buy it. it. I mean, okay. Of- of course, all the people surrounding him were definitely involved. But do you want to have your guy who's going to be the next president to know anything in case the thing were to fall apart? He would have no knowledge. You can't have your guy have any knowledge that this is going to occur. He was a puppet from day one. He never won an election. He was planted in every every position he's had. He was totally groomed by the Israelis going back to the 1950s. Um, and the biggest thing for me was that after the assassination, General Godfrey McHugh goes back to Air Force One. He gets on Air Force One. He's looking for LBJ. He can't find him. This is very, very early on when people got back to Air Force One. He can't find him. He eventually finds him in a in the shower behind um, the president's office on Air Force One, and he's crouched down in the shower, and he's crying. And he says to Godfrey McHugh, it's a plot, it's a plot, they're going to get us all. So, no, I don't believe he had any knowledge it was going to occur, even though his right-hand man, Jack Valente, was the shooter on the knoll. Okay. So, okay. Yes. I believe people like that are puppets. They're, they're, they're handled with kit gloves and they're putting, they're, they're very compartmentalized. So no, I don't believe he had knowledge. Okay. Uh, thank you. True grit also says, what does Corey think about the, the what the motive was to kill JFK? It, and we, we've said uh, early on that it was the, uh, uh, the Israelis looking to get their hands on the, uh, the nuclear bomb. Do you think there was any other motive other than that? Um, secondary, like why would Americans go along with it? Because they had their own reasoning, right? But ultimately, um, when you come to understand the power structure and who the CIA takes their orders from, the CIA takes their orders from Tel Aviv. I promise you that. Okay. So, All right. And then, and then Sherry- after they killed Kennedy, and then after they killed Kennedy, fundamentally, our, I believe our country came to an end on that day. I believe okay. we've been an Israeli colony ever since. I, I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, Cherokee says Melania wore that teal color at President Trump's inauguration. Don't know if there's any connection there, but, you know, that probably is, not. OK. Uh, Anka Vanka says much love, Red Pill 78. Respect for your guest. Perm being celebrated since 5th BCE. When was it switched from Mar- March to November uh, and back? And actually, that we just answered that with uh, right. why it was happening at that time with uh, Kathy. Uh, and then uh, Cuba Anon says, what is your take on the Zapruder film? And then we also had somebody say, what about Rafael Cruz? Uh, actually, when right. Judith Barry Baker was on the show, we did talk about Rafael Cruz. And wasn't Rafael Cruz like uh, somehow working with the government to... Uh, uh, he was working for George Bush directly and Humble Oil directly. He was in New Orleans throughout the entire time um it is rumored that he was at the trademark in dallas no evidence of that but it's rumored that he was there um yeah he was as corrupt as everybody else uh okay. but did he know the assassination was going to happen probably who knows probably not uh but he was working for george bush in new orleans at the time so he's connected to all those people 
Okay, and then what about the Zabruder film? I believe we talked about that last time too. But yeah, it's an it's an edited forgery um, for sure. There's weird artifacts in it that shouldn't be there. Uh, there's people looking the wrong direction. Um, you know, there's all kinds of weird stuff. It was definitely edited. Um, so yeah, okay. not a good film to rely on for pretty much anything. All right. Well, in that case, I'm going to say thank you very much once again to Corey for uh, coming here and sharing this information with us. Corey, please tell everybody once again how they can get your book and how they can support you. Sure. Um, my main website's CoreyHughes.org. Uh, but if you want to buy my book, uh, it would really help me out. And uh, you can get it at buymeacoffee.com slash JFK book. The link is in the show notes. Um, and uh I'm only doing like all the perks that come with the book, like the show notes and the chapters and the access to my private chat. I'm only doing that for the first thousand pre-orders. So I think I got 800 and change left. Okay. There you go. All right. Excellent. That's something I think you should definitely hold back because you could release that as a whole separate book on its own after the, uh, the, the full book comes out. All right. Thank you very much for being here, Corey. I love hanging out with you. love the conversation. Thank you to everybody out there in all of the various chats. I've passed out the gold pills. uh, And uh, you know what? Let me just make sure that there's nothing on Buy Me a Coffee or on uh, Cash App before we go. I don't want to miss anybody. All right. Nothing on Cash App and nothing on Buy Me a Coffee. Okay, great. Oh, you know what, guys? Uh, I, I Before we go, I wanted to just mention this because obviously Diamond of Diamond and Silk passed away very recently. Uh, she died rather young. A lot of people were, uh, you know, wondering whether or not she had been vaccinated. Well, there was a uh, a service today for her and Silk was speaking and she told the story of how Diamond passed away. All of a sudden, she stopped uh, she stopped being able to breathe. She said, I can't breathe. They opened the door. They were trying to get her some air and her breaths uh, gradually became shallower and shallower and shallower. And then she just died. And then she performed CPR on her until the paramedics medics got there. Now, Silk used the, the, the terminology that Diamond died suddenly. And she said, there's something going on here and we need an investigation into why our people are dropping like flies. I think everybody knows that those two words died suddenly are inextricably connected to the vaccine. And so that leads me to believe that Silk was telling us that Diamond actually did get the vaccine. Uh, perhaps she worked for one of the organ, like Dan Bongino's organization, Cumulus. They forced all of their, uh, their on-air personalities to get the vaccine. Uh, I don't know who, uh, Diamond and Silk were, were being employed by. But it's very possible, you know, I mean, considering that they were part of the kind of the mainstream conservative sphere that maybe they did take it. Uh, sounds to me like Silk was saying that Diamond was vaccinated. I shared that clip uh, from Matt Couch on my Twitter. And if you go to the Twitter account at RedPill78, you can check it out. I want to know what you think based upon what she said. But other than that, thank you very much once again, Corey. Thank you to everybody out there in the audience. I'll be back on Monday. Good luck and God bless.
When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill. Generally, you have to use multiple products that target belly fat differently to manage excess weight around the stomach. Some products may focus on abdominal exercises or dietary changes, while others might focus on boosting metabolism or controlling cravings. But believe it or not, I may have found a solution that removes the need for juggling through multiple weight management products. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviews back up the notion that Belly Trim is not only a breakthrough in a bottle, but that it also removes the need for us to use countless diet pills and fat-burning supplements. But there's more. If you place your order for Belly Trim now, you'll also receive 51% off free VIP live health and fitness coaching for life, two free new e-books titled Top 10 Foods That Burn Belly Fat, and Top 10 Exercises to Reduce Belly Fat, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee, and last but not least, free shipping. Simply go to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's www.trimwithus.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. Talk to enough people, and you'll soon realize nearly everyone's shocked at their recent electricity bills. Some studies reveal energy costs have skyrocketed by as high as 60% in as little as two years. That's why tens of thousands are installing this magical little device from SavePowerBills.com to help slash their energy bills. This sophisticated gadget stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your appliances and electronics. Simply plug it into your home wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this device is one of the most efficient ways to save money while beating the greedy power companies. But there's more. If you order now, you'll also receive 65% off, fast shipping within the USA, hassle-free returns, and last but not least, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee. Just go to SavePowerBills.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's SavePowerBills.com. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Just recently, a politician was carjacked by three armed attackers outside his home in Washington, D.C. This comes several months after another politician was assaulted in the elevator of her building. Between mass shootings, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjackings, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight has awed people with a wonderful design and massive light output. On top of an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, it boasts powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass-breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope cutter, siren, and much more. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this flashlight is the latest and greatest in the EDC market. But there's more. If you place your order for the Fighter Flare flashlight now, you'll also receive 66% off, free express shipping, and last but not least, a 100% lifetime guaranteed replacement. Simply go to www.fighterflare.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. www.fighterflare.com. Order now.